Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Wednesday morning. Plenty to sink our teeth into throughout the course of the show tonight. We'll get into a little Eagles discussion later on as a a critical date. hit the calendar on Tuesday, June 1st, which you hear a lot. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't really understand everything that goes in. Why, you know, things are so much different after June 1st as opposed to before June 1st. Seems kind of like an arbitrary date to me um, to choose. I don't know why. What does that have to do with, Mike? Is it start of the league year or something like that? Like, what is it about June 1st that changes all of these transactional things teams can do in the NFL? Uh, a lot of them have um, post June first designations in their contract. Um, it's I guess they picked that. I don't know if that's just like a boilerplate thing for most of the contracts, but it just seems like they pick it. It seems like it's the time after the off season settles. So boilerplate. What does boilerplate mean? Like what does that uh, term um, mean? I guess it's kind of like a fancy word for template. Like, okay. Um, it's just kind of like the way these contracts are structured. Yeah. That's a significant date. Yeah. So like if you have like a like. A boilerplate emails like if you copy and paste the thing and like it's it you know you yeah. distribute it elsewhere gotcha so that's yeah that's kind of what i meant by that gotcha makes sense i just uh yeah yeah that that's uh, i i didn't know what that term meant i think you did a good job of describing it so uh good stuff but yeah june 1st a big day in the nfl and now the zach Ertz discussion is picked back up about will the eagles trade them will they cut them we'll get to that later on um and comparing how Zach Ertz, I feel, should be handling this situation in a manner more akin to a current player on the Eagles and how he dealt with some of the trade rumors and things of that nature. So we'll get to that later on in the show. Um, we'll get to the Phillies. Phillies stay a big win. Uh, they beat the Reds 17-3 to on Tuesday night in Cincinnati. Uh, back at it early tomorrow afternoon at 12.35 first pitch. Um, so an interesting time for a game tomorrow. Uh, so we'll see if the Phils can take two of three. But the offense explodes on Tuesday night. We'll talk about it later on, whether or not you view this as kind of a turning point for the Phillies moving forward. And I, I still got to get back to uh, the stuff with Joe Girardi last week, his contentious uh, things going on with the media because Dave Dombrowski on his uh, weekly appearance um, on the Phillies on deck with Scott Fransky, uh, Dave Dombrowski talked about it a little bit. And uh, we'll, we'll get to some of, of the sound from Dombrowski on that uh, 
on that situation as well. Um, so a, a ton of things to get into, uh, as well as the NBA playoffs, which some games were phenomenal on uh, Tuesday night. Some were awful. TNT, uh, they they got the wrong game for the late game. I understand why you'd want Suns-Lakers. Suns-Lakers ended up being a dud. LeBron, uh, I'm sure the LeBron haters will have a field day with this one. LeBron goes to the locker room with five minutes remaining in a huff uh, as his team, without Anthony Davis, gets destroyed by the Phoenix Suns. Uh, it was a scheduled loss. And by the way, I, I, I'm telling you, if Phoenix wins that series, they're going to the finals. They are that good. They are a tremendous team. And we'll see if AD plays in game six. Based on the way this thing went tonight, he better play in game six because it doesn't matter how great LeBron is. He's not beating that team by himself. Has your Clippers opinion changed at all? My Clippers opinion, what, on them being frauds? No, like just do you think they can uh, make a little more noise than uh, maybe you thought a week ago? Yes, I do because I think the Jazz are frauds. So, I I mean, the Jazz aren't awful. I just don't see them as a championship team. Mm -hmm. At this point, the Clippers should win this series. I mean, Luka is obviously bothered by whatever neck thing he's going on. Yeah, Yeah, he's got like, what was the Seinfeld thing where somebody had a neck thing going on? Oh, a neck thing. Am I I mixing up shows here? Oh, um, Kramer for a day was, he played a a Kai, uh, what is it? A chiropractor? Chiropractor to right. uh, Elaine when she was having like mattress problems, I think. Okay. But then oh, it right. worse. When they're swimming the, in the uh, East River, right? I guess that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. And then um, the bike. They had to, Newman had to settle the bike. So he split it in half. Or said he was going to split it in half. Yes. And Kramer, therefore, got the bike because he, he couldn't said, no, bear let to her see have it. it. Yeah. That, was, that was great. Great one. Um, but, uh, yeah, but that game was terrible. But the game on NBA TV... Which, ironically, is the game we could watch here because we don't get TNT, but we get NBA TV, which is odd. But, man, Dame Lillard and the Nuggets win. But Damian Lillard just went berserk in the fourth quarter in overtime, and it was unbelievable to watch. Uh, So a good night in the NBA playoffs. Meanwhile, the Nets dispatch of the Boston Celtics. So the Nets-Bucks series that we've been talking about for months will uh, will come to pass game one of that series Saturday. So we'll preview that one a little later on. Um, get Draymond Green's take on Nets Bucks as he's been filling in a little bit on TNT this week uh, in spot duty. Gave uh, Shaq the night off the other night. Gave Kenny the night off on Tuesday. And I got to say, I love Draymond as a commentator. I mean, he, Draymond, you already know he's one of the smartest players in like the history of the league. Just one of those guys that is always where he's supposed to be. Um, And uh, he gives his thoughts on who's going to win the East, who's going to win that series. So we'll get to that later on as well. And we will start in the NBA, and we will start once again with the Sixers, who play Game 5 of their first-round series tonight at the Wells Fargo Center against the Washington Wizards. A full-capacity Wells Fargo Center for the first time in, it seems like, two years. Mike Angelina, I'm sure you'll be in attendance. Um, boots on the ground. Uh, I guess you'll be able to file your reports with Jody and and Janssen tomorrow. Uh, so looking forward to to listening to that. Um, but what is he up? Yep. Yeah, uh, that's right. But a full uh, a full building at the Wells Fargo Center. Going to be great to see. It feels like it's been like two years. It's really been like 15 months. 
I remember that final Detroit game. There wasn't really a big crowd there. I guess, what was the last time it was a real big attendance there? Probably that Clipper game, maybe? Yeah, that was right before the All-Star break that year. Right before the um, All-Star there break. Was also, there was a really, really good, fun Nets game sometime around that time, too. They had a... They were bad. They were like down 50 to 30 and had a great comeback. First game after the All-Star break, no Embiid. I remember watching that one on a Thursday night no, at Borgata. Embiid was awesome. No Simmons. Because Simmons with the back. You're right. Yeah, that's right. And Embiid was, I think he was still bothered by something in that game. He looked like he was banged up in that game or something. Yeah, and that was around the time he was like moping and like the fans are like, you know. Yeah. Hit, that, it was just a weird time. Right. There's the whole thing with the him shushing the fans and all that stuff. He so. got booed, yeah. Yeah. So uh, it feels like it's been forever, though, and just the fact we can't really remember the uh, you know the the specifics of that game tells you how long it's been, and that's going to be cool uh, to see down in South Philly on Wednesday night. Um, but you know, the big story on Tuesday throughout the day was the aftermath of the injury to Joel Embiid and the status of Embiid moving forward here, and. You know, it was a tense day. It was a tense day as the day continued to go on with no with no news. You know, in this instance, I viewed no news as bad news because, as we talked about last night, if the news on MB was, was you'd think, good, the Sixers would want to get that out there if that was the case. Now, this was complicated by the fact that the ticks, the, the Sixers, um, I guess their plane broke down last night in Washington. Uh, so that got the whole process delayed. They then had to bus back. That delayed Joel Embiid's MRI. And it was tense waiting for any sort of update. And, you know, I was sleeping part of the day, as I typically do on Tuesdays, and waking up frequently, checking Twitter, and nothing. And every time... You know, I check and there'd be nothing there. I got a little more queasy. I got a little more nervous that that something could be wrong with Joel Embiid more than just like a tweak knee and just like general soreness. And it was concerning um, when you check constantly and there's no news. And I think all Sixers fans were kind of in the same boat, just wanting any sort of news, any sort of update regarding Joel Embiid. Because, I mean, his status is the season. We all know that. And, you know, we talked a lot about Ben last night and Ben's free throws and all his stuff uh, is going to be important. And all the other stuff we talked about with the team, Tobias Harris stepping up, which role players to play, that stuff's going to be important. But none of it really matters if Joel Embiid is out and Joel Embiid's not healthy. And when your season is hanging in the balance based off an injury report, that's something that is going to make you feel uncomfortable and something that is going to be, you know, nerve-wracking, and it was throughout the day. That all the hopes that we have for this team, all of what they could accomplish, that it all vanishes instantaneously if Joel Embiid is hurt in any type of significant way. Then finally, I guess it was late afternoon, early evening, we get something. We finally get... Some sort of news, an update, a tweet from Woj, which is somewhat vague. Um, It says, following the results of the MRI, Embiid is doubtful for Game 5, but that was it. Uh, Nothing on the results of the MRI, um, nothing on his long-term status, 
Nothing like that, only that he's doubtful for Game 5. And then it's just like, all right, well, that's a little bit of a tease. You're waiting for something more. Well, we finally did get more. As later on SportsCenter, um, Woj uh, joined uh, a Philly guy, Kevin Nagandi, I believe, was hosting. Um, and did give a more detailed report on Joel Embiid's status uh, moving forward. Uh, Kevin, Embiid had an MRI today. Uh, after the team returned back from Washington. Uh, they're going to examine that right knee more in the next 24 hours or so. Uh, he is going to be listed as doubtful for Game 5, but I'm told largely there's optimism around the knee, uh, that this is not a serious injury, this is not necessarily something that's going to keep him out, but there's more testing uh, that's going to be done. There's certainly uh, want to be sure whenever they're dealing with Joel Embiid and a player certainly of his stature. Uh, But right now, simply, uh, the Sixers are listing him as doubtful for Game 5 against Washington. So, you know, that's largely encouraging. Uh, We're clearly not out of the woods yet. More tests are going to be done. But the indication seems to be, according to Woj, that Joel Embiid's going to be okay here. That uh, the the organization is not worried about lingering effect. They're not worried about him throughout the rest of the postseason. And that hopefully, if you advance, uh, the Sixers will get Joel back. And I'm hoping, you know, obviously, that you get him back uh, as soon as possible and you get him back for game one of the following series, which I believe is either going to be Sunday or Tuesday. And that's based on what happens with the Sixers tonight based on what happens with the Hawks and Knicks tonight. Um, but that was an encouraging report. It made you feel a little bit better about where the situation is. That this was more than anything a precautionary measure, more than anything else. You're up 3-0 in the series. No need to force Joel and be back on the floor. And if that was how this went down, that is the right move by the Sixers organization and the Sixers medical staff. If you have any concern whatsoever about Joel Embiid, there is no need to put him back on the floor in game four of that series against the Wizards. You hold him out, you run tests, you make sure he's okay, and then you bring him back when he is fully ready moving forward, um, you know, in the next round or later in this series, if it were to get to that point. And, you know, when you look at where this team is right now and what they can accomplish as we look at game five and Joel Embiid all but certainly won't play tonight and he shouldn't play tonight. There's no need to put him out there. No need to risk anything moving forward um, until you're sure everything's okay. So you now look at this team and what they can accomplish and coming into the postseason, I believed coming in legitimately that they could win the title. Not necessarily that they would, but that they could. That they are good enough. Obviously, Embiid is the centerpiece. But I believe that the pieces around him would be good enough in a big series. Uh, But for that to be true, sometimes you got to do it without him. Because it can't be all Embiid all the time. And... This is going to be a significant test, one of many that the Sixers players after Joel Embiid are going to have to pass here as we move forward in the postseason. 
to to see if this team is truly capable of winning a title. Because for them to be good enough around Joel Embiid later, for them to do all the things they need to do around Joel Embiid in a big series against the Hawks or against the Nets or against the Bucks, they need to be good enough without him now. And when I look at this game tonight, it's going to be really telling in terms of this team's actual chances. And no, this is not what the team's going to look like, obviously, and things change dramatically when Joel Embiid returns to the lineup. But this is a game that the Sixers should absolutely win tonight. Like, I just talking about it with Mike before the show, you are in a situation where you are hosting a Game 5 against the Washington Wizards. You need to win this game. And it doesn't matter whether Joel Embiid's on the floor or not. You need to find a way to do this, and you need to win without him. And, you know, if they don't, and this series does need to shift back to Washington, D.C. for a Game 6 on Friday night, the Sixers might still win the series. But I'm not going to believe that they are true contenders. Because we can, you know, we can expect what we have come to expect from Joel Embiid, which is dominance, which is greatness, which is carrying the team on his back. But he cannot do this alone. And for them to win a championship, for them to win the Eastern Conference, for them to really do the things we're hoping they can do, it's not going to be Joel Embiid alone. And we've known that the entire time. That Tobias Harris is going to have to step up in a way he did not the other night. That Ben Simmons is going to have to be more aggressive and step up in a way that he did not the other night. That the Sixers are going to get need to get more bench contributions, more contributions from their role players that they did not in Game 4 and really, you know, throughout the course of this series, some of the guys on this team are going to have to step up. And, you know, you'll get Joel Embiid back and obviously this team's a lot better with Joel Embiid. But if you can't go out on Wednesday night and beat the Wizards in Game 5 without him, you're not going to be good enough to beat the Nets and Bucks even when you have him. Like, you're just not. And this is a real critical moment for the Sixers in this game. Because you do not want to let this go to Game 6. You do not want to let Washington get any get any kind of confidence. And first of all, let's just say what what it is here. Like, this is not a good Washington Wizards team. Like, this is not a team that you should have any fear will come back in this series. And ultimately, I, I don't. I'd be stunned if the Sixers found a way to lose this series. But this is on the shoulders more than anybody tonight of Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. Because we talk about the guys around Embiid, and they all matter. Everybody on this team is going to play a role. But it's really Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. Because you need your best three to match the best three of either Brooklyn or Milwaukee down the road. And you need them to step up in these moments. And Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons, let's be honest, they failed in game four. They failed to step up when Joel Embiid went out of the lineup. Ben Simmons was not aggressive enough. Ben Simmons did not make his free throws. Tobias Harris did not have a good game offensively. He looked a lot like the Tobias Harris we saw last year, the Tobias Harris we saw in the bubble. 
instead of the Tobias Harris that has played so confidently and so well this season. And I want to see it from those two guys more than anything tonight. That they are going to take control and they are going to step up for their team. Because in no way should this series go beyond five games. You're obviously better when Joel Embiid's on the court, but there are so there are some moments when you just got to step up and do it without him. And this is one of those moments. That Washington team is not good. You should not need Joel Embiid to close out this series. And if Washington does win this game, and the Sixers fail to close this thing out at home in front of a packed building with a chance to move on and get themselves a little bit of rest before this series gets started either Sunday or Tuesday, it's going to bode just really poorly moving forward. And it's going to really change my opinion of this team moving forward because I still think if Joel Embiid comes back and he is healthy, they are capable of winning a championship. But if you can't win a game five without Joel Embiid at home against the Wizards, you're not going to be good enough. Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons will not be good enough to support Joel Embiid when it really matters. If you cannot take advantage and win this game. And I want to know how you feel about this because I look at this one tonight and it's much bigger than just closing out this series. I'm not worried about this round. The Sixers are going to win this round, whether it's tonight, whether it's Friday. I mean, God forbid it get to a game seven. Uh, the Sixers are not losing this series. But long term, when you look at the deeper, uh, the you look at this team and how far they can really go in the playoffs, it will be telling whether they truly can win a championship or not. And if they don't win this game tonight, and they don't win this game tonight, I'd say convincingly, it would give me a lot of fear and a lot of pause that this team has any chance to compete for a championship and compete with teams like Brooklyn and Milwaukee because Brooklyn and Milwaukee are are great. They are tremendous teams. I believe the Sixers can be as good, can hang in with them in a series. But if you can't beat the Wizards without Joel Embiid, that would change my opinion um, on either of those matchups drastically. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 if you would like to join the show. But I want your thoughts whether this game tonight is kind of a telling moment for this team long term. Because I think it's going to tell you a lot about Harris. I think it's going to tell you a lot about Simmons. And it's going to tell you a lot about the Sixers' real potential when they get Joel Embiid back and whether they can beat the better teams in the East like the Brooklyn Nets, like the Milwaukee Bucks, when Joel Embiid returns. Uh, sometimes you got to do it without him. And this is a moment where against the bad Washington team, you should you should beat them, and you should beat them convincingly at home in front of a sold-out crowd on Wednesday night. If the Sixers don't, I will not believe they are capable of beating Brooklyn or Milwaukee down the line. 215-592-9494 if you would like to get in. Um, plenty of things that we will uh, touch on throughout the course of the show tonight. Uh, so if you want to get in, you're welcome to. You want to get in on the Zach Ertz thing and the Eagles, the Phillies as they put up 17 runs. Whether you view this as a turning point, um, we'll get to that. I, I actually have a, a special Big Daddy segment tonight. Um, I have a back to childhood. Uh, so we will uh, 
get to that a little later on in the oh, show. Oh, is this what I think it is? Y- yes, I believe it is. It has to do with a uh, a photo I sent you the other day, Mike. Yeah, and uh, some physical details. Yeah, there's some some interesting things in this uh, in this back to childhood that we'll get into uh, a little later on. So a lot of stuff planned tonight. Uh, if you want to get in, uh, we got Andrew first after the break, and then you if you want to get in. We got open lines two one five five nine two nine four nine four. I'm Tom Kelly, filling in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham. Mike and I just talking during the break a little bit uh, about the Phillies, and we'll get to the Phillies a little later on, but I want to know, like, do people have a real, like, attachment to this team? I don't know what it is with the Phillies. But I feel like there is very little in terms of emotional investment. I don't know if that really makes a lot of sense. But like I feel like there aren't like there isn't like a, a real attachment to this team from the fan base. Maybe it's just the way they play a lot of the time, that they seem kind of ambivalent. But I don't know. I just don't feel like there is a real passion for this team. Uh I, am I reading that wrong, Mike, at all? Well, I mean, a lot of the homegrown guys have like failed them, and like usually people, they tend to root for the homegrown, like the homegrown guys and the guys they kind of see come through the organization more than like the imports, like Segura or Gregorius. Right. So like the Hazleys, the Kingeries, Hazley, Odubel for a separate reason, even though Rule Five, whatever, but for a different reason, Odubel. You know, Hoskins is kind of like he's had these weird seasons where it's kind of hard to get a grip on him. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm not a big. I, I feel like a lot of people don't really like Hoskins that much. Like it's just I don't know if it's his attitude. He doesn't have a bad attitude. He doesn't. He's just kind of there. Like I don't I don't know. He's just like this streaky guy who, you know, even when he shows emotion, like he did in Miami last week, it just seems like forced or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, he uh I. I actually think his attitude's improved. I'll give him that. And I, I do think that he kind of has, he's kind of figured, found out that there's this void of like, there's no speaker of the team and he's taken that head on. So I give him credit for that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and also this is like one of those boots on the ground things. Oh, he's, I, I like the effort. He like, in his like body language between pitches and like, he, like he's become a, he's, he's slow, but like, he's become like a better base runner than like, than I ever expected he would have. His body language between pitches. How do you display good body language between pitches? So he used to always... I, the umpires must have hated him. He used to always sulk after, like, you know, Cold pitch strike. on the border, pitch that missed by an inch, whatever. Now he's just like, all right, I'll still be a hitter. Gets back in there. Um, you didn't think I had an answer for that. No, no, I no, I did think you had an answer for it. Oh, okay. I just... I, I uh, Yeah, I just... No, I didn't know what you meant by it. But yeah, I, I, that, that's, that's a good report. Thank you. Good report. So... Oh uh, yeah, we'll get into the Phils as they win seventeen to three, and you know your takeaways from it. I just I, there's something with this team that it just doesn't feel like there's that kind of connection there uh, with them, and uh, just 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 an observation. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's get it started on the phones here with Andrew in Upper Darby. What's up, Andrew? Hey uh, TK, I think it's my first time uh, on with you since. Uh, the birth of your child. So I just wanted to congratulate you and also let you know, praying for wisdom for you and your wife to, uh, you know, great child-rearing ways. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I, um, 
<laughs> now, are you from Delco? Uh, I am not. I am from uh, Montgomery, Montgomery mm-hmm. County. Okay. All right. Well, um, all right. Let me flip right into where you're at with the fills. <clears throat> um, and I'm going to bring up. Okay, I'm going to bring up the. Uh, well, wait a minute. We're going to New York for a minute. Um, you mentioned a photo, and I think you're alluding to uh, <clears throat> Kramer uh, playing a doctor <laughs> earlier. And I was thinking, I re- immediately thought of Doctor Van Nostrand. <laughs> oh yeah, I love that. when he. Yeah, when he has to uh, poses Doctor Van Nostrand to uh, inspect Mister Kruger's uh, mole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pimple, is that is there pimple pop, Doctor Pimple Popper MD? Yes, that, yes, is, oh, yes. Oh she God. was involved in that as well. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so all right, so let's slide up into New York. Um, there is a conspiracy theory um, that Joe Girardi. You know, the last time I remember what in two thousand nine. You know, hey, he beat us in a World Series. There may be um, uh, a large uh, Italian contingent that have sent him down to destroy the Phillies. Wait, wait. So Andrew, your 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 theory here is that the 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 New York mob has sent uh, Joe uh, Girardi uh, to manage the not. Phillies and uh, yeah, I I don't think you're in much danger here Andrew because I don't think <laughs> okay. that theory is uh holds much water. <laughs> no, I know. But but to your point about uh, the fans not really embracing the team. I couldn't feel more. Uh, I've been a huge fan all my life, and I, I, I don't even know what to make of this team. It's, it's not really a team yet, yet, yet. Um, hey, to that point. So I go way back. I go way back to like Steve Carlton. You know, he was my hero. Mm-hmm. And and you want to talk about not talking to the press like Girardi? You know, Steve Carlton was one of the first guys to do that, and. Um, I loved him. Did it bother me that he didn't talk to the press? Yeah, because he was my hero and I wanted to hear a little more from him. But if he felt like it messed up his game or, you know, uh, threw his focus off or his concentration, well, you got to give him his props. And they didn't do to him what they're doing to the tennis player, like blackballing her because she doesn't want to talk to the press. What do you think about that, TK? Yeah, the Osaka thing, Andrew, it's it's a pretty complicated situation. Like, I certainly sympathize with her and her anxiety issues and taking care of your mental health. That's something you need to do. Um, And, you know, I think it's, it's, I view it much differently after she came out on social media and clarified things that she tried working behind the scenes, tried coming up with some kind of a solution that worked for both sides. And the tennis association wasn't really um, receptive to that. And, you know, in that respect, I certainly, um, sympathize and I'm on the uh, on her side with that but I do think like there is an obligation for either players or coaches to meet with the media like that is part of the obligation it's part of the job um but I do think it can be handled better in terms of making her more comfortable because obviously it's something she she really struggles with and uh, it sucks that she had to withdraw from that tournament yeah all right so we'll jump right back to the Sixers and and why not why can't they do what the NHL does OMB has got a lower body injury and I'm just leaving it at that. Like, you know, you guys don't have the right to know everything we need, you know, we, because we, you know what I'm saying? Like, where does the uh, team have a right to, uh, you know, protect their information so that they don't have to give away too many secrets to the oppo- opposition? Yeah. I mean, no, no, I hear you, Andrew, and I appreciate the call. And 
Basketball, as Mike points out on the, my screen here, does have more specific injury rules than the NHL. And this is something I wanted to explore later on. We talked about it some last week with Joe Girardi. Um, and we'll get into it with the things Dombrowski had to say as well. But, you know, it's it's a fine line. And a lot has been discussed this week with the Naomi Osaka situation. And, you know, it is not a cut-and-dry, black-and-white, simple issue. Like, it's not to me. I think there are a lot of things that go into it. And, you know, I I think the way she tried to handle it, I think she tried to handle it the right way, is working behind the scenes, trying to figure out a way. You know, she's obviously said she's dealt with depression a lot. Um, She is, you know, struggling with mental health. She's She's a young, young person as well, which also needs to be taken into account. She's, you know ascended to superstardom uh, pretty early on in life here. And, you know, basically the tennis association just wasn't really willing to work with her. And I think it's a shame that she had to withdraw from that tournament. And, you know, that's something that they should have done better with clearly. And they should have been able to come to some sort of compromise. But at the same time, I do think like there is an obligation that in some way you need to fulfill that obligation. Like you can't just, whether you're a coach, whether you're a player, just say, I'm not going to speak to the media at all. I'm not going to participate at all. Now, apparently that is not what she actually did. That's how it was being reported at first. That has been clarified since, but I do think, you know, it's part of the job when you're either an athlete or a coach to, you know, fulfill these obligations. How do you feel about this specific issue, Mike? Yeah. So, uh, to one, just to you know, to the caller's point, they, I would not say she was blackballed out. She was not blackballed. She, she withdrew. Yeah. So, you know, obviously she has the right to. So, no problem there, as right. far as I'm concerned. Um, it sounds like she did not give it. Like the timing here was botched. It. It. These sweeping changes she wanted. I'm not sure. What Saturday, the day before, or maybe the Friday before, you know, the biggest tournament, um, you know, going on over there, one of the four biggest in the world. I'm not sure that was the right timing. Mm-hmm. I think this was there could have been a better lead up to this. Yeah, no, no, I I agree with that, and I think it's one of those things where, you know, you do want to look out for people, and you want to make sure you don't want anybody to be struggling with their mental health and depression to the point where you know it's negatively affecting them personally but on the other side and i do think it is legitimate on the media side to want some level of access and we talked about it a lot last week in regards to the pandemic and why these organizations are still doing these zoom conferences like i kind of think it's pretty ridiculous at this point and i i forget i i don't know if we called so maybe it was with al in the morning i think it was during the overlap with al where you know so we're allowed to have full attendance back at games, but the me it's still not safe for the media to go to an in-person press conference and be in the locker room and that sort of like it seems pretty arbitrary the way the teams are implementing these kind of rules. No, I think we have. Um, I think this is going to take some time to sort out like these liability issues. Like the fans are far away enough from the players to where they don't. Because listen, if there's a co- like I know, you know, the vaccines are up, but. There, 
it still technically could happen that it could be a nightmare. If there's an outbreak with the team, like you don't want any, you just, you, you can't have any doubt that it came from fans, media, anyone who shouldn't be near the team. I, I think this is going to take another full season until, you know, they just kind of re- reset everything and go from there. I don't think this is going to happen. I mean, at the NBA Finals, maybe, like, the, it, it'll be a totally different ball game. But, like, you know, these Sixers, like, practice sessions and, like, you know, post-game courtside, like, I, I still don't think, like, that's ready yet. Well, but I agree in a sense. But, I mean, they the they are selling courtside seats now. Like, people are sitting courtside at games. So, um, they have this giant tent in the parking lot for those guys get tested in there, I guess. Okay. Um, this is just, I only well, why, can't I you te- it. why can't you test the media members? I guess you could. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, but that's why, like, at that point, then, I don't know how that works with the bargaining with, like, the press or whatever, but, like, I, I don't think that's something you just install and like sit down in like three hours and it's just like okay new policy here we go. Yeah, no, I hear you, and I but I I really do like, and maybe this is like the media member uh, in me coming out because I'm sure this is not an issue a lot of people care about. Like a lot, like trust me, I know a lot of people don't like the media, a lot of people don't really care about the media, and they don't really care about you know the media and and how they get their job done. But I honestly do find it fascinating, you know, the kind of standoff that I think is going to go on because uh, the teams, I, I, I think the teams love this current arrangement. Like, I don't think the teams are in any rush to get back to a, a world in which they are covered more closely. And I'm not talking closely in terms of proximity, but having that kind of in-person proximity leads to reporters being able to get more information. And quite frankly, I think the teams like uh, the media being limited in the information they can gather. And it's easier for them to do that when things are done remotely. Yeah. I, 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 well, one, I just, it's going to take some time to rebuild this. Mm -hmm. And then I I don't know. I kind of like, I think this also may just be unique to the city where, we have two coaches in Rivers and Girardi where, because of the pandemic, these guys never really, like, I know this is going to sound, like, so small and, like, so, like, inside whatever, but, like, I don't, how many of them, like, have their, have his phone number that they can, like, ask him, like, like, right. like it's, like, it's maybe a little different than Brett, like, Brett Brown, you could still kind of reach out to him and say, like, hey, like, Embiid, like, what's, what's going on there? Like, I, I think this may just be more of an issue here at this time. Yeah, and and it is interesting, and we'll get to more of it a little later on when we, you know, revisit some of the Girardi stuff from last week and Dave Dombrowski's um, comments on it with Scott on the on the pregame show on Phillies on Deck. So we'll get into it a little more later on. But hey, I, I want to know if you're interested in it, honestly, because, um, you know, as a member of the media, I do find it, you know, interesting in these types of situations. And with the uh, Naomi Osaka thing, I think that is. It's much more complicated than the teams in particular, but you know, I, I I think at the same point, any media member who would said you know she should have to make some sort of statement to the media is just getting jumped on, and it's like I get where they're coming from from their perspective because mm. it, it's way more difficult for them to do their jobs if she's not speaking to the media. By the way, did you see? Um, do you know who? Uh, Women's tennis player Petra Kvitova. Petra Kvitova. No, she um freak accident at her media session. She fell and severely injured her ankle. Huh. She had a withdrawal. 
Wow. So it's some dangers in the media. Obviously, that was yeah. a freak accident, but yeah. it's kind of weird that uh, two media-related incidents. That is weird. Now, Naomi Osaka, see? That's why I didn't want to go, you know, sprained an ankle. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think it's interesting, and I think that situation has been interesting. And I mean, you know, when you have the kind of power she has, um, tennis needs her. Like, this tournament is significantly damaged by her withdrawing. Um, and I think it's incumbent. Like, I do think there's a solution that can they, they can come up with to benefit both sides. Like, there is a way to make her feel better about, uh, you know, her media availability sessions and a way for the media still to get the access that they want. Um, it doesn't need to be all or nothing. And I think it's kind of on both Naomi Osaka and... The uh, I guess it's the WTA, uh, the World Tennis Association, I believe, uh, to come up with a solution that works for both sides. But uh, I did think that was a pretty interesting story this week. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. When we get back, I want to give you my social media gripe of the day. That's coming up. And also, we'll talk a little more Sixers. And, and um, I, I want to get into the Embiid stuff as far as the sleuthing that was going on on social media, uh, people trying to find out information. There was a picture that was circulating that gave people hope before Woj's report. So we'll get to that. And also, um, what is Doc going to do with the starting lineup and with the rotation on Wednesday night? I fear what Doc is going to do. I hope he does not go the route. I think he's going to go. Um, but we'll talk about it when we get back. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. Um, we got a rant a little later on that we got to play from Nick Wright of Fox Sports, who uh, went off about Kyrie Irving stopping, stomping on the, the logo of Lucky. I didn't know Lucky was the name of the Celtics um, mascot. It makes sense, though, right? You know, Leprechaun, Lucky. It makes sense that would be his name. Um, but um, the Nets eliminate the Celtics on uh, on Tuesday night in what was a pretty you know boring game. The Celtics really had no chance in that one. But uh, we'll get to that a little later on. A lot of stuff um, that we need to get to. But... It is time for the social media gripe of the day here. And I might need Mike's help with this one here. Um, I don't know, like, uh, I don't know what a TED Talk is. But my social media gripe has to do with when somebody will make a point on social media that I guess they think is a good point. And then they'll end it with, thank you for attending my TED Talk. Have you seen this? Do you know what a TED Talk before, is to yeah, begin with? Yeah, yeah, It's like, I mean, it's like the video series, right? Like, yeah. That's what it alludes to. But but the guy's name's not Ted who does the TED Talks, right? Who does I the TED Talks? I haven't seen them since college. I'm not going to. Okay. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I thought it's more for like, if they go on like a monologue or like a long thread about like, I don't know, like. This is why, like, I was nice to, like, my the person who got me a drink today or, like, whatever. Like, it's usually stuff like that, right? No, well, it was, in this case, I'm just, I'm trying to think of what it was, but it was something like... I'll look for something. The, the Sixers didn't lose, uh, the Sixers could have, Ben Simmons could have made more free throws. 
the refs also could have made better calls. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk or something like that. And it's just, I don't know, it just bothers me a little bit. I, I don't really see the point in it. So that's the social media gripe uh, for today. Um, and I guess it's when people are very confident in their tweet or their take. Are you finding the one that I saw? Uh, maybe. Does it relate to Ben Simmons? I think so. I don't even know who tweeted. I think it might have been retweeted by somebody. I don't know. Yeah. But something like that. But yeah, that, that's my social media gripe of the day today. Um, here's here's a uh, yeah. A give, the exact, uh, give the exact. Give well, no, I'll do or it give now. a different one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of newer and veteran teachers, there should be those that taught during the pandemic and those that did not. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. So, what does that mean? So like, like it, fire off a take and then yeah. Is it just a take that people think are, they think it's such a good tweet that it requires like a TED talk uh, tag but, tagline on the end of it? I, okay, so I think this one relates to Friends, your favorite show, Dave oh, Uram's favorite show. Joey and Rachel deserve to be Endgame together. Thank you. Endgame? What does that even mean? Just like they're married or something like that? Yeah, that's what I figured. Okay. Uh, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Is this reunion? I think this reunion's live on HBO Max or something now. I don't know. Have you checked it out, Mike? Yeah, I thought that was the talk last week. Well, I knew I knew they were making. I don't didn't know if it actually ended up at being released yet. I, oh, okay. I, for, I honestly forget. I don't even, I just don't really care. I just saw Friends Reunion, just wanted to rip Friends. I, I forget exactly what I was announcing. Um, but yeah, uh, the Friends Reunion, I'm sure that's doing big numbers. And it probably actually is, which is uh, pretty sad. But uh, the Friends, it's just a terrible show. Just a terrible, terrible program. You want uh, one last good one? Sure. Repeat after me. Always, li- and it's the clapping thing, lip bomb oh with SPF. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk, sponsored by my sunburnt lips. That's like five gripes in one tweet right there. Uh, that That is a, uh, that's an accomplishment. But uh, that's the social media gripe for today. And, and real quick before we get to Isan, um, the social media thing that was funny throughout the course of the day is everybody in Philadelphia is trying to get, like, information on Joel Embiid and the hours go by still nothing and everybody's getting scared and this photo kind of went viral on social media of um a woman who I guess tweeted this out in what appeared to be a medical facility uh standing next to Joel Embiid posing in a picture Joel has a brace on his right knee but like, he didn't look sad or anything. He didn't look upset. So people kind of took that, I think, that Joel Embiid was okay. Um, I just thought that was pretty funny that, uh, uh, you know, somebody tweets out a picture of Joel Embiid um, with, some, w- with a nurse or a medical person. And, you know, everybody was trying to get any little bit of info on Joel Embiid they could uh, to make sure he was okay. Because obviously, Sixers' season hinges on his health. And... Uh, they're not going anywhere without Joel Embiid, but they're also not going anywhere if other guys don't step up. And mainly Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. And it is on those two guys tonight. And the Sixers, they better win this game. Because first of all, it'd be an embarrassment if they don't. I mean, if you lose this Wizards team, by the way, the Wizards will be without Bertons, and that's actually a pretty big loss for them. Like, he's a guy who, if he gets hot, he can put up 20 points, and not having him puts even more pressure on Bradley Beal. Uh, to score, but I don't care if you have Joel Embiid or not. This Wizards team stinks, and you should be able to dispatch them easily tonight. Uh, the line, I believe, is six and a half, pretty much what I thought it would be. You know, 
the Sixers should win this game. And it's incumbent on Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons to step up in a big way tonight. And if they don't win, if they are not able to do it, they weren't able to do it in game four, um, you know, and beat goes out in the middle of the game. I guess you give them a little bit of slack and leeway for that. You're up 3-0 in the series. But now you've had 48 hours to know you're not going to have Joel Embiid. You're coming home with a 3-1 lead. If the Sixers are unable to win this game, it would give me big-time concern moving forward. Not for the rest of this series. Sixers are going to win this series. But moving forward, when you get Embiid back, you're not beating Brooklyn, you're not beating Milwaukee, unless these other guys step up. Mainly Tobias and Ben. And it would give me a lot more confidence that they can do it down the road with Embiid in the lineup if they're able to do it without him tonight. Uh, because this is a game This is a game you should win. You should win rather easily. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Isan. What's up, Isan? What's up, TK? I wanted, uh, I got a TED Talk for you myself. Oh, okay. Just, uh, but I uh, want to spiral off what you just now were saying. Man, I'm actually thinking Dwight Howard needs to step up, too. And the other game, the other day when they were playing, he got in the game one point. He was, like, grabbing the net during free throws. You remember that when it was yeah. happening? And Westbrook and got, got all triggered about that. And he got right back out the game. Like, he has to stay on the court. Like, whether it's foul trouble, technical foul trouble, whatever, his presence matters because I think one of the keys to the game is stopping Lopez. Lopez looked like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I remember the announcer said Kareem Abdul-Lopez or something like that. Like, you can't let this dude shoot skyhooks all game and actually develop some type of confidence that he can score. And he was doing that on Embiid as well. You know, so they need to eliminate him. They need to stop Hachimura because that dude is starting to look like a baller too. And I think that if they don't win, if they don't end this tomorrow, it's going to seven. Because I think if they go back to Washington, D.C., they're going to win that game six. And I don't want to go to game seven and all the pressure be on trying to force Embiid to come back early or whatever. But I just really want them to get it over with tomorrow. Isan, well, if this series goes seven, that's that's a disgrace. Like, that, that yeah. that's, an, uh, that's a complete disgrace. And your stuff with Dwight, like, I, I, I got to say, I have gotten increasingly, uh, I've fallen out of love increasingly with Dwight. Like, uh, he, I, I don't have a problem with playing him, and you're going to need to play him a lot on Wednesday night without Joel Embiid. But Dwight's really got to stop the nonsense. Like, it, in, the reg- sure. in the regular season, you know, you can deal with it. And, you know, he's playing 10, 15 minutes a night. And, you know, I thought the first half of the season he played really well. But this, over the last couple weeks, you've really started to see the immaturity, all the stuff that, you know, you kind of understand why he had trouble latching on places for a yeah. while because he's talented enough to to play his role and play it well. But the stupid fouls, all the nonsense, like I have I have been more and more frustrated with the White the more I've watched him over the last couple of weeks, and it's hard to trust him. Yeah, same here. I remember he got kicked out of a game. I think he got kicked out of like back-to-back games at one point. As the season was going down to the uh, the final stretch, yeah. But, uh, here's here's my TED talk, man. Like <laughs> just going off of what you were saying. First off, you ever see The Mandalorian? Uh, yes, I I did see it. It's a very good show, actually. So on the first season of The Mandalorian, there was this guy who always would be like, "I have spoken." That's kind of like what's going on with what you're seeing with the TED talks. TED talks are like a lot more in depth things. Like it'll be about something like really important or somebody's really decent point of view or something. 
But what's going on with the social media thing, people are just using it like a thing to say, I have spoken. And it's humorous. But I wanted to talk about the stance that the tennis player is taking. Osaka? Sure. Like, it reminds me of what Kaepernick was doing a few years ago when he started taking a knee. And it wasn't fully understood or embraced, but it was important. And for the people that it was really affected, or the people who could really relate in some type of way, it was more important than the athlete doing what the athlete had to do on the field. And I know you said at one point, like, tennis needs her. Tennis does need her. She's a huge star, but she needs her. And there's so many people right now that she's the champion for. I I lost a brother to suicide. I struggle with depression. I see a therapist for depression, and I actually started a nonprofit organization to help people in the minority community dealing with depression. And I see that mental health during the pandemic and over just the last few years with everything that's happened with race relations, all kinds of things, is brought to, to light how important dealing with your mental health is And if this girl could take care of her mental health and be a a better person and a more stable human being and athlete, mom, whatever she's going to become in the future, wife, all kinds of things, this is the most important thing she can do, man. And I think that she's a champion right now for so many people. She's a champion for me, and I really don't know much about her as a tennis player. I've heard the name, but I really just – she's a champion right now because she's taking a knee in a way for people who – are struggling and don't have the platform that she has. Yeah, no, and and that's great work you're doing, Isan, because that stuff is really important, and and it's important that people, you know, find that kind of balance with their profession and their mental health. And when you're on that kind of stage, I I can't even imagine how taxing that would be. I do, uh, you know, want to ask you though, you know, how do you straddle that line, and how do you think? they can kind of come to an agreement because would you agree that there is some sort of obligation on her side to do interviews and media at some point? Like, obviously, and I've heard the tennis media can be really brutal sometimes, um, but do you think there's a way that you can find a middle ground? Because I do believe there is some level of obligation to meet with the media at some point. Absolutely, and what I would hope is that she could find some mentorship and some of the older, or maybe Serena, I know she's got competitive competitive reasons probably not to latch on to certain people, mm-hmm. but I would hope somebody could take her under the wing and, like, show her the ropes and teach her some things. Because if there's somebody who's gone through scrutiny over the years and had to deal with, like, even racism, it's been Serena and Venus, you know? Maybe they could take her under their wings and, like, help her and just teach her some, some coping strategies mm-hmm. or maybe just let her take a break for now and come out of this stronger. Like, I really don't know what the middle ground is, but I do believe that taking a break is necessary. I remember years ago, I was a postman. I was a letter carrier, and I actually had to leave my job because the nature of the job kept me in lonely places while dealing with depression. And I had to take a step back and be unemployed for about a year in order to deal with my mental health and then apply for another job after that break. So maybe, I'm not saying she needs to quit tennis, right. but maybe a break could be good for her and some mentorship and just, I mean, she's dealing with the same things the whole world is dealing with. The pandemic, she's young, like she's a, a woman in a world where, I, I don't know, man. I really don't know what it's like to be in her shoes, but I really do hope that she comes out of this and that she doesn't have to deal with even more scars from people ridiculing her and, and criticizing her while she's actually taking a step back to avoid those things. Yeah. No, I hear you, son. I appreciate the call, man. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, take it easy. And yeah, I think 
you know, it's it, it, she absolutely has the right to withdraw from the tournament. Like, if she doesn't want to play, she doesn't want to deal with this stuff. I mean, she's under no obligation uh, to do that. Um, and I do think, you know, for people dealing with these kind of issues, like, there is a middle ground that can be reached here. And, you know, it appears she tried reaching a middle ground and tennis was basically just, you know, non-receptive at all. But, um, you know, it, it it's going to be an interesting balance moving forward um, because, you know, you would hope that people who don't just want to, you know, not speak to the media start using anxiety and depression and serious stuff like that as excuses not to meet with the media. Like, I certainly don't think that's happening in her case, but, you know, if she, if, if certain breaks are afforded to certain people, other people could, you know, try to do the same thing, even without um, suffering from the same kind of stuff. So I think it's interesting. And I think moving forward, uh, it's something that, that athletes and media and organizations are really going to have to come to more of an understanding with because, you know, the media's got a job to do as well. And at the same time, I think it's important that you're not putting anybody in situations that make them so uncomfortable that it is effectively ruining their lives as it seemed to be doing with Naomi Osaka. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, see Mike in South Philly on the line. We'll get Mike when we get back. Also, we'll talk about um, who Doc should start in this game. Uh and what the rotation's going to look like. We'll do that coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham. I actually get a uh, text from my brother Jerry during the uh, break. Um, and yes, our we, we are Tom and Jerry. That is uh, my brother and I's names. My parents did not even do that intentionally, Mike. Um, it was just a, a, a coincidence uh, because my grandfather's name on my mother's side was Thomas and my, my dad's name was Gerald. So it uh, just kind of worked out that way. And obviously, it's something my brother and I have had to deal with our entire lives. You are, know. are you the oldest? I am the oldest. All right. So, yeah. So it is exactly Tom and Jerry. So it's not even like it's Jerry and Tom. I'm the oldest by two years, but um, he is much you know, larger than me from a height perspective. Um, huh. A few inches. By the way, that's something we got to get into in our uh, yeah. back to your childhood. <laughs> you had a very interesting observation, <laughs> the thing that I sang it. So we'll do that coming up. Uh, we'll do that in the next segment, our back to childhood here. Um, but uh, he texted me and he said, TED Talks are, it's a series where experts in a topic uh, give a talk or a speech on it. So that's what a TED Talk is. Um, so... Thank you to, to Jerry for, for chiming in and give us the information. I still think it's stupid to put it on social media as, you know, a, you know, tag your tweet with a TED Talk. So I guess it's people acting like they're an expert on the topic they're tweeting about. I, I guess that would be what is ultimately going on here. But I, I'm still not really sure. I'm still confused. Yeah, like the, the helpful woman with the burnt sun uh, or with the burnt yes. Uh, lips. Yes, yes. That was because obviously that was very helpful. And was something we yep. all needed, you know what I mean? Yep. So uh, thank you to her for doing a, a public service um, on our behalf about her sunburnt lips. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 
215-592-9494. Talking about the Sixers start the show. No Joel Embiid, probably tonight. He's listed as doubtful. He's not going to play tonight. He shouldn't play. Because the Sixers shouldn't need him. I mean, seriously. Uh, this is a game they should be able to win without Joel Embiid. And when you look at the larger uh, the the larger picture here, if the Sixers are going to win a championship, they are not going to do it with Joel Embiid just carrying the whole team on his back every night. They're going to need the other guys to step up. And by the other guys, yeah, all the role players, but mainly Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. They didn't do it the other night. And they better do it tonight. Because this Washington team, they stink, okay? Like, they shouldn't have won a game in this series. The Sixers should not need Joel Embiid tonight. They're favored by six and a half. They should cover the six and a half. They should win this game by double digits. And Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris need to step up and get this thing done. And if they don't, it's going to give me massive concerns moving forward as far as what this team is truly capable of whether they are truly capable of winning a championship when Joel Embiid is back, because they're not going to be able to do it just on Joel's shoulders. And tonight's a night where Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons need to step up, take the onus on themselves, and get the job done. So we've been discussing that, and it's going to be interesting to see what Doc Rivers does with the lineup. And I was thinking about... Uh, you know, who he's going to start, and he has shown when Joel's been out in the past, he does not want to start Dwight Howard. Like, he just wants Dwight to, to be part of that second unit, and I wouldn't assume that's going to change tonight. So, looking at the starting options, I hope he does not do what I think he's going to do. And what I think he's going to do is start that complete waste of a roster spot in Mike Scott. Like, that's what he's going to do. Um, and he shouldn't, like... What would you do, Mike? And I know you're kind of you're, you're part of the hive, so you're fine with Mike Scott going. Why out am there. I part of the hive? Because you defend him all the time. You say he's fine. I uh, you think my Mike Scott hatred is way over the top? I just I don't think he's worth you know losing sleep over. Well, I'm losing sleep right now. I mean, I'm up in the middle of the night yelling about him. So obviously, I'm, I lose sleep every time he throws up another brick of a three. Hmm. And by the way. Um, how hilarious was it at the end of that Portland game as Dame Willard is going off doing everything he can to keep the Blazers in the game? Your boy Rocco blows two dunks right at the rim. Yeah, I saw the one. Oh my yeah. god. The other one, yeah, you reacted to me like pointing to you and you missed the play. It's like a rebound. He's going up to put back uh, you know, a second chance opportunity. Nobody's there. I don't know if he's trying to lay it in or dunk it, but he just like loses the ball and flails yeah. to the ground. He's still so bad around, around the basket. Well, because uh, we saw you get real excited uh, at that point. And you then, and the bag man? Yeah, you, me and the bag man. And then it looked like uh, you're angry there. So we were kind of guessing, like, maybe Tom bet Denver here. No, I was Because just... at that point, the, the lead went from like seven to, to tied. I was just laughing at Rocco, like completely still, like completely inept within two feet of the basket. Like it, it's just, I don't understand why layups are, are so challenging to him. It was frustrating when he was here. It doesn't look like he's a that hands. Yeah. yeah. He's got, he's got rock hands. He really does. Um, that's why he's rock. Yeah. Yeah. Rock. Um, but, uh, that was a tremendous game and I'll throw a little side topic out there as well. Um, because Dame Lillard was in, insane. Like it, it was insane watching the end of that game and everything he threw up was going in. He's, he's banking threes in off the backboard. Austin rivers said after the game, like I, I there's nothing I can do 
And, you know, Austin Rivers basically said he was laughing. He's like, I don't know what, like, I'm defending this guy as well as I can defend him. And it doesn't matter. Like, he's just shooting over me. He's putting it in. He made three threes in the last 30 seconds of rate of, of overtime, I think. And it's just insane. And when he is on, he is one of the most fun players to watch in sports. And if you have, like, a fun player to watch in sports, doesn't need to be the best, um, but just a fun guy to watch. Like, I don't know if there is any player in the league that is more fun when he is, like, on a heater than Dame Lillard is. And he was just completely incredible at the end of that game. And <laughs> they lost because you got Covington blowing layups. You got C.J. McCollum stepping like three feet out of bounds on that with 10 seconds left in double overtime. I don't know. The spatial awareness by C.J. in that spot was was pretty poor. But um, Dame Lillard, if I was him, I'd be pretty irritated with my teammates right now. But uh, if you want to get uh, in on that, uh, fun players in sports, uh, you're welcome to. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Mike in South Philly. What's up, Mike? How's it going, Tom? Good. What's going on? So I'm watching this show on Netflix called uh, Broadchurch. It, it's been around for like you know a handful of years already. I, I, I just never got around to watching it because – um, yeah, I'm, I'm a stickler for detective shows and if they're not like ultra, you know, grounded and realistic, I kind of get put off, but, um, I guess watching mayor of East town kind of got me in the mood to watch another one. So I started watching it anyway. That, that was a great show, by the way, Mike, mayor of East town. Did you yeah, enjoy really the, good. did you enjoy the finale the other night? Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. Um, thought I had maybe one twist too many, but I certainly didn't think it was a bad ending by any means. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was very Kate Winslet. I mean, she's, she's, you know, elite tier actress she's great she was she was great in that show and i i really i really enjoyed it and uh, you know i hope they don't try to make a second season of a show like that because i think it would it would probably not be anywhere near as good as right the first. and plus you have to keep inventing like a new killer every year it's like well how many killers is this town gonna have right i right? think that i think mayor of east town's like your perfect one and done show like right. you had a good success you might as well get out and like looking back like that's probably what they should have done with like true detective is the oh, yeah. first season was so good. The third season wasn't wasn't bad, but like that that's one where they probably should have just gotten out after one. Agreed, yeah. So but yeah, I'm watching this show and who pops up? The actor who played Grey Worm. Oh uh, my god. And I just picture like I could picture you know, you watching television and the second you see his face, even if he's playing another character, you immediately get annoyed. I turn it off. I would yeah. not be able to watch that show anymore. Would you do a Newman like Grey Worm? Yes, yeah. I would. I would not. I would. And thank you for telling me that, Mike, because I will now take Broadchurch off of my list of shows to watch. I will not watch it. Um, He's still haunting you to this day. Right? I can't. I can't stand it. And I gotta. You know, I. I. I'm getting close to where I gotta start doing a Game of Thrones rewatch here because I want to rewatch the series at some point. I want to do it before the new series comes out next year. But I'm still haunted by that ending. Like it's still. I've still never rewatched the finale. I still am hesitant to rewatch the series because I am so friggin' bothered about how that show ended. Yeah, I was supposed to do it in April, and then I just got sidetracked with other things. So maybe at some point this year, who knows? Um, you know, but I, even if I get to, to season eight, I might just skip it and end it at season seven. Just pretend season eight never happened. <laughs> yeah, and I could honestly do that with with seven and eight. Like uh, season six was so the the final two episodes of season six were so perfect. It just yeah. such a fall off after that. Yeah, it's a shame. But anyway, um, yeah, about the sports stuff. Uh, 
you know, as much talk as there is about Ben Simmons' uh, jumper, um, and it should be talked about because yeah, it is an issue. There's no question about it. And I even think it's a big issue at times. Um, the biggest issue for this, or well, I should say the biggest um, impediment to the Sixers' title hopes has been and will continue to be Joel Embiid's health. I mean, that, that's, he's their best player, and he can't stay healthy. And this has been true since he's been in the league. I mean, Tom, they, they made the playoffs. I believe this is their fourth playoff run with Joel Embiid. And not that it's his fault. I mean, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't control his bio, bio, biological makeup. But um, this is their fourth playoff run with him. And he's missed games and has been injured. And, you know, assuming he misses tomorrow's game, this would be three out of four playoff runs that he's missed games and has been injured. I mean, there was the first one where they beat Miami and then lost to Boston. He had the, the, the broken face. And then the one with Toronto, um, you know, people always talk about game seven, but people forget that in game Game four. That's yeah. where they lost that series. Yeah, not only was he ill, remember that those entire playoffs he was battling that knee issue. Remember every single remember every game leading up to the game, it was he's a game time decision. He's yeah, gonna I warm mean, up and see how he feels because his knee's cranky. He missed game three against Brooklyn in the first round. Yeah. He, he sat out a game in the first round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then here it is again. I mean, and it's like, you know, this is why it's so key in the NBA to have multiple top ten, top fifteen players. It's not just because that it's a talent-driven league and, you know, you have to battle other super teams, but it's because, you know, if you only have one of those guys and something happens, like even if, for example, say Joel Embiid comes back and he plays, but say he's only at 75 or 80%, then, you know, he may no longer be a top five player. Maybe he, because of playing, you know, at, at not full capacity, maybe his production drops down to a top 12 player. Right. And, you know, and, and when the margins are so thin and you're going up against teams potentially like Milwaukee or, or, or Brooklyn, that might not be enough. You know, that's why it's so critical to amass multiple top 10 superstars, because if you're the superstar you do have is either injured or he can't play at full capacity, you have that other guy who can take over a game to make up for it. And the Sixers just don't have that guy who can take over games other than Embiid. No, it's, it's true. And I mean, I guess you can say Tobias did that in game one, um, but that's not something you can rely yeah. on in a big way moving forward. And it is the biggest difference between them and a team like Brooklyn. Like, you can certainly make the argument, and I, I don't know if it's true. I think, you know, Durant is phenomenal. But you could make the argument that Embiid is the best player in that series or the most dominant player in that series. But even if Embiid, you give him an edge over Durant, the difference with Harden and Irving compared to Simmons and Harris is just, it's it's so significant that yeah. you know that is an area that that is where the Sixers um, would probably really struggle in that series. The difference between the second and third best players. Yeah, and if you're to win a series like that, Embiid has to be his best self. Oh, you yeah, know, he has to be at a hundred percent. He has to be active on the defensive end. He has to be getting to the line. He has to be explosive. He has to be hitting his jumpers. And if there's just one thing off, like if his knees cranky and he doesn't get the lift on his jumper, or he can't rotate or get back on defense. They're not going to win a series like that. And that's the problem. And I guess, you know, it's not really Embiid's fault per se, but like, you know, if you can't keep him healthy, then I don't know how you expect to win a title. And I don't even know what the Sixers can do about it. Right. And, and Mike, I mean, the Lakers are going through the same thing with Anthony Davis. I mean, Anthony Davis is a guy who's frequently hurt and you see what it does to that team. Like, it doesn't matter how great LeBron is, Um, you know. Anthony Davis, when he's on the floor, they are probably the favorites to win the title. When he's off the floor, uh, they're probably a first-round exit in the West. 
Have they said officially if that one play where he fell was the, the play he hurt his knee on? Because, you know, sometimes in sports, like remember when Carson Wentz tore his ACL and, um, you know, people thought it was on the hit in the end zone and then they said later it was actually when he pushed off before he got hit in the end zone. Like, you know, sometimes in sports you think it's in one play and then you find out later like, oh, it actually occurred on another play. Did, did they say? They didn't, but, I mean, you can see on the replay of that play, it did look like he came down awkwardly. Like, I, I think it probably happened on that play, but I don't believe they said. The, the Sixers haven't really said much in general, except he's doubtful for game five. Everything else was what we played earlier from Woj. That's yeah. all I've heard. So, so for um for the Eagles, so I, I you know it was since it's June first or it was June first. Um, yeah, there was some talk about Zach Ertz, and I saw the Bills cleared some cap room. They're, they're a logical destination, but I did see. I can't remember what reporter it was. It might have been Mike K. I can't remember off the top of my head. But they said that, or maybe it was Les Bowen said that you know sources um continue to be adamant that the Eagles are not going to give away Zach Ertz for nothing, and so. If that is true, then they're obviously not going to cut him. You know, they're not going to cut him because if they were going to cut him, they would just trade him for like a seventh-round pick. They're, you know, so if the Eagles are intent on keeping him and not giving him away, my question to you is: Do you think Zach Ertz is the type of player to uh, cause locker room issues if they bring him into the season uh, still as an Eagle? Well, I mean, he shouldn't be, Mike. And this would really bother me if Zach Ertz did go this route. Like if Zach Ertz were to come back and be a problem, that would really frustrate me because he's under contract. He has been treated very well by this organization. And the organization owes a lot to him too. Well, obviously he's been a great player. He scored the biggest touchdown in the history of the franchise. But um, I mean, I wouldn't think so. Zach Ertz has been a class act, but obviously he doesn't seem to want to be here. But if he were to do that and he were to hold out and he were to be a baby about this situation, <clears throat> I think it would change the way he's viewed in this city, at least a, a little bit. Like, he'd always have, you know, that stature of scoring that touchdown, but it would really disappoint me if Zach Ertz did not come back and wasn't a good soldier. Yeah, I mean, obviously, one of the dynamics, you know, we haven't, you know, we don't know what would happen is obviously they have a brand new head coach. So, you know, we don't know how Nick Sirianni would, be, would deal with something like that or if he, he'd even be comfortable dealing with something like that. But I still think the best course of action is to keep him, you know, just assume or hope that coming off his, like, worst year ever, maybe, like, that he's bound to just have a bounce-back year, hoping he's healthier, and with maybe some more weapons on offense, it'll open things up for him to rebound. And then if he rebuilds his value, then you trade him at the trade deadline. Um, and then maybe, you know, not hope somebody gets hurt, but you know what I mean, like, right. hope that a team is in need of a tight end, and is you know is on the verge of a playoff run, assuming that the Eagles are not at that point, and they go, okay, you know we're desperate for a tight end. Maybe we'll give you a fourth for Zach Ertz. I think that's the best course of action. Um, unless they're so desperate for the cap room he'd open up, like they plan to sign a Steven Nelson or something, I really think they should keep him. Like I just look, I, like it, it's different. Like if if you're like playing a sport and you can get like premium value for a player and you want to blow it up, that's one thing. But, like, I see no value in just giving away all-time organizational grades for, like, sixth and seventh-round picks. No, I agree, Mike, and I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, Thanks. And, yeah, I mean, I've said this for a while. I don't see the logic in getting rid of Zach Ertz at this point. I just don't. I don't think it's something that makes sense for the Eagles. 
Um, Zach Ertz is still a useful player. He had a bad year last year. He was injured. Um, you know, the whole offense was a bleep show last year. So obviously, Zach Ertz wasn't going to have a good year when he was in there. I mean, with how Wentz was playing, with how the offensive line was playing, Doug's design, it was a combination of things that was going to, you know, make for a pretty bad year. But it doesn't mean Zach Ertz is a useful is a useless player. He's not. He's still a guy who can give you something. And you know, I would not give him away for nothing. No way would I do that. Um, and it's something that you know we speculated for a while that he'd be gone, not gone. I uh, thought it would happen by the draft. Didn't happen by the draft. Now June first, and the stories are kicking back up again. And Mike brings up, you know the Zach Ertz aspect of it and how Zach Ertz is going to react. And that's something I want to talk about a little bit. We'll get to that next um, because I'll compare it to another Eagle who spoke last week and, you know, his future here was uncertain and he's handling it one way. And it's how I'd hope Zach Ertz would handle this situation as a professional. If the Eagles do bring him back Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. if you want to get in Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. we also have, a back to childhood segment in the uh, following the break here because I was sent something by my brother uh, over the weekend, um, and it raised uh, one alarm within my head and a completely different alarm within Mike Angelina's head. So we'll get to that when we return. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Sports Radio ninety four WIP. Well, we we do need to go back to childhood for a second here. As I was sent, I I don't know if this is an alarming picture the other day, but my brother uh, was down the shore uh, with my mom, and I guess they were going through old stuff. I I don't even know why they'd still have this, but um, a a car. Because it rained all weekend. Right, because it rained all weekend. Nobody was outside. Everybody was just sitting at home. Uh, chilling and enjoying themselves. So uh, they found this trading card. And, and was this something that when you were a kid, Mike, when you play a sport, you'd get a little card? Um, yeah, I have a few Little League ones, yeah. Right, with, you know, your position on it, you know, coach, league, this kind of stuff. Well, uh, they found a card that my brother had sent me, and what struck him was what struck me. And this leads to a whole... Uh, whole thing that I'm sure, you know, people will will love to call me out on. But, um, you know, it's Tommy Kelly. Apparently, I was number 17 on the Willow Grove Bears touch football team. Defensive lineman. Um, but uh, this was alarming, Mike, because they ask you a little question at the end. And it was favorite pro. And my favorite pro, apparently, when I was uh, five years old, was Emmett Smith. Wow. How about that? Like, we, am I a closet cowboy fan? Like, are we going to, am I like a, a really a cowboy fan in disguise this entire time? So, and it, that's why I hate Carson Wentz, not just because ah, he's a baby. Well, that's interesting. Well, Maybe I've been trying to tear the team apart from the, from the inside. I don't know. You did, I will say, you did recover to become a, a fan of like the Super Bowl years and Andy years. Your your love for Andy and Donovan is unquestioned. Tommy I'll, Midnight. I'll, I'll grant you that. Tommy Midnight. Of maybe course. maybe I'm Tom, Tommy Cowboy now. 
Yeah. So I'm just let's we're going to early night early to mid nineties. So yeah. uh wow, that's uh, the teeth of them winning those Super Bowls. You're just a front runner and jump <laughs> no, in. No, no, no. I don't remember liking the Cowboys. That's what's so odd about this. Like I I've always hated the Cowboys. I, I hey, but I have always been a guy that says Giants. I'm a Giants hater more. So I don't know. Is there a deep you know, deep down? Do I have a soft spot for the star? Maybe you love uh, Demarco Murray, right? I, I no, I hated Demarco. You, you, you went to a game in Dallas just to see to see Demarco Murray take on the Cowboys. That's right, I did. I was at that game. Um, that was a great game, by the way. Sam Bradford, maybe Sam Bradford's best game as an Eagle. To be honest with you, uh, game winning touchdown I, to I, to Jay Matt I, in overtime. I would say the Monday night against the Giants, but yeah, that's up there. Monday night against the Giants. They blew out the Giants on, uh, yeah, on Monday night. That was more of a – I think Murray ran for 100 yards in that game. Okay. But whatever. It does, I mean, we're, we're going back and dissecting the middle of the 2015 Eagles season. I don't, I don't think that's anything anybody's going to fact-check us on here. Um, but you were struck by something else on this card, Mike, because I sent you this. You know, we're coming up with show ideas, and I'm like, oh, well, maybe we should do something. Am I a Closet Cowboy fan? Because apparently I used to like Emmett Smith. But – my measurements were what stood out to you and a, a little surprising here because I'm, I'm not necessarily a big guy. No. Yeah. Uh, but your listed height at, at five years old, uh, for football was four foot six. Yes. Am I correct? Yeah. Four, four foot, foot six, six, 44 pounds was my measurements. Now but, I don't know, like, and maybe I'm just, being naive here, I don't. What what is an average height for a five year old kid? Is there any way you can you can look that up real quick? It's got to be under four feet. Four six seems to be large, and that had to be a mis measurement because I was never I was never a big kid. Like I've always been on the uh, smaller size height wise. I mean, just to let the audience know, and I'm not ashamed or anything. I I know. I'm not a very tall guy. I'm five six, you know. I'm 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 a shorter I'm a shorter guy, um, but yeah, that would be weird if I'd only grown one inch over the last twenty nine years. So apparently, I was on track to be like a seven footer, and all of a sudden, you know, I just stopped growing. That wouldn't wouldn't be good. Okay, so uh, I got this. According to BabyCenter.com, the average five year old's three seven. Yeah, there's no. I think that I think. Three six was probably what they meant to put on. Somebody had probably had a typo there. There's no way I was four six at five years old. Could you imagine that? Like I'm on track. I'm five years old. My parents are thinking, "Oh, this is great. This kid's gonna be a star in the NBA. He's gonna be. He's gonna be six ten. And then I end up being a, being five six and a radio. You drew show. one foot. Right. I grow <laughs> one foot in a matter of twenty nine friggin' years. I don't think that. I don't think that measurement was correct. But it was a great, it was a great spot by you because I'm looking. I the only thing that stood out to me was the Emmett Smith thing. And Mike just texted me back. He's like, "You were four six at five years old. Like, what were you a giant?" And then I'm like, "Oh wow, yeah, that does seem like big for a, a kid of that of that age." But yeah. there's no way that was correct. That was uh, yeah. To me, that was the headline. Yeah. So that was good. Good spot by you, Mike. Thank you. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so that we two things from my childhood at five years old. Apparently, I was a giant, and I also might be a closet cowboy fan. So I, I don't know. There's not really much defense I have for that. Um, maybe they just you know 
maybe the measurements and the favorite pro, maybe they got me mixed up with another kid. I'm not sure. Um, but I don't think any kid was four six on that team. No, I mean it's, it's three six makes sense. It's obviously a typo. Like yeah. they just hit the three instead of the four. But the Emmett Smith thing, I don't know. Maybe that is not a typo. No, maybe maybe I'm a closet cowboy fan. We'll, we'll never know. Two one five five nine two nine four nine. We're talking about the Sixers and why they need to win this game tonight with Joel Embiid. Without Joel Embiid, you got to beat this Washington team. So we've been talking about that. Also. Funnest players to watch when they're locked in and in the zone. Because, I mean, if you watch the end of that game, if you're just waking up now, I guess most people waking up now didn't catch the end of the Portland Nuggets game that unfortunately was buried on NBA TV as the Lakers and Suns turned into a blowout on TNT. Can they can they switch that mid-game? Because that's what they should have done. Like it, The Lakers were down 66-36 at halftime. Uh, Nuggets Blazers was tremendous. They should have just said, okay, you know what? We're pulling out of this game. We'll throw this to NBA TV, and Blazers Nuggets is now on TNT. That's what they should have done. I mean, it's like, it's pretty easy to find NBA TV. Just flip to NBA TV. But don't you need, like, isn't that a more complicated uh, subscription package to have? NBA TV than, than TNT, except maybe unless you're here, yeah, like, where we have this odd arrangement of, where we don't sake, have TNT. For the sake of this studio, the arrangement was perfect. It was, and we're we're watching the game. And if you missed it, check out the highlights because what Dame Lillard did was incredible. And I think when he's in the zone, when he's locked in, he's like the most fun player to watch in sports. Probably him, Steph. Like these are the guys that when they are are just locked in. They are just so much fun. And Mike, you said you had a fun player for me that I guess you don't think I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy here. Yeah. Uh, I don't always root for him when I see him, but I really enjoy watching Max Scherzer pitch. Okay. That's fine. Why, why, why do you think I was going to be upset with Scherzer? I don't know if you uh, would take offense to a non Philadelphia one. I mean, my favorite pro, pro player, Emmett Smith. Of course, yeah. I'm not going to take offense. <laughs> yeah, to that. you're right. That's true. Yeah, uh, Scherzer. So we're so you're going to which game this weekend? I think he's pitching Saturday. Lined to pitch Saturday. So yeah, uh, I'll see him unless uh, unless there's a Sixers game. Sat- well, they don't play Sat. They're not going to play Saturday. Um, they announced that game one of the second round will be either Sunday or Tuesday, and I'm assuming oh, really? I'm assuming. It'll be Sunday if the Sixers and Hawks both close out tonight. Yeah, if which we, I guess the Knicks could win. Yeah. Now, now if one of them has to play Friday, there's no way they can keep it on Sunday, right? Like, not knowing? I wouldn't think so. I think they could. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. Well, actually, you know, Nets and, uh, well, obviously, at this point, the Nets and the Bucks would that would make more sense for them to be the Sunday 3.30 game. They're playing Saturday. It's already been announced. Game uh, one Saturday. Now, Saturday has the potential to be a great NBA day because you'll have Nets-Bucks game one could also be uh, Lakers-Suns game seven if the Lakers are we'll able to win game, game six. I, yeah, I mean. I, wow, that but, was confident. Yeah, you know how these things work. This is a you. You were right too. I we were breaking down Game Five, and I asked whether this is a LeBron spot. You're like, no, Game Six is the LeBron spot. Like, it was a scheduled loss, and LeBron, I'm sure Al will be all outraged about this because well, LeBron left the floor with five minutes to play. It was a weak move, LeBron. He shouldn't do that. Uh, you know, LeBron puts a little. There's a little extra touch on it if it goes seven. So it's it. You know, instead of going. Five could have, you know, if they won Sunday, easily could have gone five. Now, which game do you think they put in that Saturday night primetime? It's got to be Suns Lakers game seven. Has to be. 
And yeah, then that's the eight thirty one. A little Milwaukee or, or tent or eight thirty, yeah. And then a little what? A little Milwaukee Brooklyn five o'clock, five p.m. Uh, game, something like that. Yeah, that's a that's a weird time on a side. Well, it's uh, Belmont too. Oh, the Belmont. Oh, great. Uh, a bunch of juiced up horses running around. Is Baffert is Baffert back? Is he allowed to go to the Belmont, or is he ostracized from racing altogether? I, I'm not sure. Uh, tune in to Jody Mack show tomorrow to okay. find out. Well, we'll get the lowdown from Jody on the Belmont tomorrow. Uh, 215-592-9494. When we get back, uh, we will get to the Zach Ertz situation. Meant to get to it here, but we got derailed by you know some very interesting things with my five-year-old history. Apparently, I was a 4-6 monster among... Monster Among Boys. Um, and then I grew one foot in the next 29 years of my life. Pretty bad break, honestly. You didn't show the stats part. How many yards did you run for that year? I was a defensive lineman, so I don't think I ran for that many yards. <laughs> uh, I just figured, um, you know, Emmett Smith, you would have... You... Right. Uh, it's Well, it said defensive line, so... Uh, um, yeah, but I, I did... Uh, it, later on in my career, when I was in eighth grade, I did score on a two-point conversion. That was the uh, I, even though I was a lineman linebacker for most of my uh, football career, um, I did uh, play a, a little fullback one game, and I had a nice little shake and bake move at you're, the goal line. You were a lineman. Yeah, I mean, I was a, I was actually a starting D tackle on the freshman football team. Um, I get low pad level, low man wins, Mike. Uh, I was I was able to shoot those gaps and I love playing defensive line. It was my favorite fa- my favorite and I would have kept doing it if I wasn't, you know, 5'6 and 150 pounds in high school uh, because apparently I just stopped growing, uh, you know, right after I turned 5. Um so uh we had that and the Emmett Smith thing. So uh we didn't get to the Ertz thing here. We'll get to it coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham on a Wednesday morning. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, I do got to revisit the Joe Girardi situation from last week. We you know, we talked a little bit earlier about the Naomi Osaka situation and uh, the media, and, and by the way, a ridiculous tweet sent out by uh, Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk, who had a take on this, um, and he said, if you left uh, press conferences and media stuff open to players, 99% would willingly speak to the media. I, do you buy that, Mike? Like, I don't buy that at all. If you've made it completely optional and mm-hmm. athletes had no obligation to the media, do you think 99% would willingly speak I don't think so. I think 99% would shower, get the hell out of there. Oh, does he mean after every game? Yeah. Or does he just mean ever? No, he just means, I think he means like after every game. He thinks 99% of the guys would stay around and speak. What world they, is Florio living in? How would they, would they just all like post a live Instagram? Who, who's interviewing them? Well, like, I, how that like I guess he just means in terms of like being around the locker room and you know how it, how it works when you go into in normal circumstances, not COVID world. Yeah. But there's but, no way. Like, but if they're banned for the year, I, I guess I don't understand how it's going to be executed. Well, it's just it's just a matter of, like if athletes did not need to speak, they would not speak. Like maybe you get you know like Jason Kelsey, I think enjoys it. Jason Kelsey would speak. Mm-hmm. Brandon Graham would speak. But most guys, if they like, if Carson Wentz didn't have to speak to the media after games, you think Carson Wentz is doing that? Of course not. 
the minute he didn't have to. He didn't want to talk to anybody anymore, including people mm-hmm. in his own building. Well, there's your one percent. Yeah. So I, I don't. I just don't get what Florio is talking about there. But uh, the whole Joe Girardi um, situation with last week, we need to revisit because uh, Dave Dombrowski as he does every week, every Tuesday, or Sam Fold, rotating cast there. Um, but Dabrowski joined Scott Fransky on Phillies on Deck and uh, tried to help out his manager a little bit. I wasn't really buying it, but we'll, uh, we'll get back to that uh, in the 4 o'clock hour and he, let you hear what Dave Dombrowski had to say about the whole situation. But we're talking about Zach Ertz with the June 1st um, date now in the past, and that being a significant day in the NFL in terms of transactions and what you can do, what you can't do based on how these contracts are structured. And, you know, I don't know all the specifics of it. I'm not going to pretend like I do, but um, after June 1st, it now becomes much easier for the Eagles to either trade Zach Ertz or release Zach Ertz against the salary cap. Now I've been on record as saying for a while, I don't understand at this point why the Eagles would get rid of Zach Ertz. It just doesn't make any sense. We had talked about this in the offseason following last season, and a lot of it was we thought the Eagles were going to have to do this to get under the salary cap. They were able to get under the salary cap by doing other things. They were able to restructure some contracts, um, make some moves to lessen their financial burden without getting rid of Zach Ertz. And that's the whole reason why this was such like a a foregone conclusion anyway. And now that you're under the cap, I don't see the point in getting rid of a productive player. And I don't think the Eagles do either. And here was Howie Roseman way back. This was right after the draft when asked about Zach Ertz's future in Philadelphia. Zach's a really good player and a really good person. And, um, you know, he's under contract to the Eagles. And at the same time, we have a lot of respect for him and uh, what kind of player he is and what he's done for our team. But this isn't a guy like in the twilight of his career. This is a guy that's still in his prime and that a year ago at this time, everyone was talking about, you know, where he ranked uh, with the top tight ends in the league. And so, um, we feel really good about the kind of player he is, and um, you know we got to do what's best for our team as well. And yeah, and you look at it, and I, like people heard that, and they thought maybe this was some kind of Howie Roseman negotiating ploy to maybe get more out of other teams. I don't view it that way. Like I think the Eagles actually view it the way Howie said it is. Hey, Zach Ertz is a player who can still play at a high level up until last year was highly productive. Um, His struggles last year certainly were not all his fault. He had some injury situations going on. Uh, The offense in general was a disaster. The quarterback was a disaster. And that's going to all contribute to Zach Ertz having a bad year. And, you know, I don't understand why you would be looking to get rid of a player that can still be productive and still help your offense with a young quarterback who you're looking to groom, I think he would be helpful to Jalen Hurts, where you have a veteran player who is reliable, who can help as a leader, can help take pressure off other guys offensively, and you can utilize as kind of a safety blanket. I think he would be useful for Nick Sirianni as a first-year head coach, to have a veteran who's been around. 
to kind of lead that skill position unit. And also, you know, utilize him within the offense uh, because you look at what Nick Sirianni and the Colts did in Indianapolis. They were very proactive with using their tight ends. They used a lot of tight ends. They had Ali Cox there. They had Doyle. They had a lot of guys, Eric Ebron, that they would shuffle in and out. Like, this is an offense that you would assume would be multiple tight ends a lot of the time, and you can use multiple tight ends in this offense. And I think the Eagles, it would behoove them to keep Zach Ertz and continue with him this year. Now, the other element that goes into this is how Zach Ertz would react, because the general assumption is that Zach Ertz does not want to be here anymore. I personally don't understand it. Like, I don't get why Zach Ertz would be so hell-bent on getting out of Philadelphia. Initially, it appeared like this was going to be a contract extension situation. He wanted to be extended here. Didn't happen. Did he get an extension somewhere else? He's not getting an extension anywhere else right now. And I don't think he wants an extension anywhere else because the cap is going to rise significantly next year when the CBA kicks in. And when there's more money available, the NFL will have recouped a lot of the money that they lost due to the pandemic. It doesn't make sense for Zach Ertz to sign a new contract anywhere right now. And I would hope that he would act like a professional about this because Zach Ertz has been a professional for his entire career. And he's a guy that we view and admire and we hold in very high regard here. And, you know, I was listening last week to Brandon Brooks speak. And Brandon Brooks, coming off a serious injury, was involved in trade talks this offseason. And being a veteran that he is, being a contributor that he has been to this organization. I mean, Brandon Brooks has given a lot to this organization and has done a lot for this organization and has been a tremendous eagle. But, uh, you know, Brandon Brooks was involved in trade rumors. And I thought the way he handled it was extremely mature. Here was Brandon Brooks last week um, talking about whether these trade rumors were true. It was true. Uh, I think, you know, we can just get that out there. I mean, usually, you know, I don't want to say rumors are true because that's not the case. But, uh, you know, if it's enough people saying it, you know, it has to be, you know, something, something happened, right? Um, how I feel about it? This is a business, man. Uh, the second you, you lose sight of this is a business. This is the second, I don't know, it, it, it gets to you. And that's exactly right. It's a business. And yeah, Zach Ertz was talked about in trade rumors. Zach Ertz was, you know, discussed with other teams. So was Brandon Brooks. Brandon Brooks is handling it like you'd expect a veteran who's been around, a professional would handle it. And I'd hope Zach Ertz would handle it the same way. Here's more from Brandon Brooks on those rumors. I get it, right? So I'm an older guy. I was coming off an injury. At the time, we were, you know, cap-strapped, uh, you know, making a lot of money. Like I, like, I get it. The only thing I wish about that, actually, was uh, instead of, like, hearing it from my mom, my mom being like, hey, like, where are we going? Like, you know, it'd be nice to get a phone call, like, hey, like, this is what's going on. You know what I'm saying? I think that's pretty fair. And uh, the difference between Brooks and Zach Ertz is Zach Ertz knows he's been involved in trade talks. Like, Brandon Brooks may not have known. Ertz knows that he's been involved in these kind of trade discussions. I don't know, does really need to throw his agent under the bus like that? Why, why do you care about the Who cares about agents? That was, that, was a, that was a weird comment, right? That was kind of strange. I guess. I, I just, agents I, I look at, and I just think they are like the snakiest of the snakes. Like, I just, uh, 
Drew Rosenhaus, Scott Boris. These are these are these are not people I'm concerned for. <laughs> like I'll just, I don't know. I'll just okay. put it that way. I just I, I'm I'm anti clutch sports. Yeah, I'm anti Rich Paul. I'm anti these guys. <laughs> I do love that correction you you gave me either last week or a couple weeks ago that Brett Brown when he goes out to do his uh, big meeting with LeBron, he doesn't even get to see LeBron. He <laughs> right. see Rich Paul. Right. They just send Rich Paul to do the meeting with Brett Brown. Um, but here's one more from Brandon Brooks on the uh, trade talks. You know, there are no better fans, and you know, I wouldn't want to play anywhere else or go anywhere else. But again, it's a business; like it, it happens. And like Zach Ertz and Brandon Brooks, I view as very similar cases. Like Brandon had said there, yeah, I mean, it's a business. At the time, the team was in a cap situation where they needed to cut salary. I understand why they were talking about trading me. Um, It didn't happen. I'm ready to come back. I'm ready to be a professional and be a Philadelphia Eagle. And it would really disappoint me if Zach Ertz didn't end up taking the same approach. And if Zach Ertz did end up becoming a problem or holding out or doing something like that, because this is not about a contract extension with Zach Ertz at this point. Like, he's not getting an extension here. He's not getting an extension anywhere he gets traded right now. And as I said, because of all the factors going into it with the CBA, things like that, it doesn't even make sense for Zach Ertz to want an extension right now. The salary cap will dramatically rise after next season. That's the year to cash in. And, you know, I don't know if it's what went down with Wentz. I don't know what exactly is bothering Zach Ertz right now. Because apparently he still wants out. I, I I truly don't get it for a guy who's had as much success as he's had here. A guy who, I mean, was crying about how much he loved Philadelphia after the final game of the season against Washington. Like, was that all fake? Because... Brandon Brooks is treating this like a professional would typically treat it and understands that this is a business. And I'd hope Zach Ertz would treat it the same way because the Eagles shouldn't give in. The Eagles shouldn't release him. They shouldn't trade him for a six round pick. It doesn't make any sense. This is still a productive player on an affordable salary who you could utilize this year on a team that I think has a chance to be pretty damn good. Like I think the Eagles can win the division this year. I am not looking to move on from Zach Ertz just because Zach Ertz doesn't want to be here anymore. And, uh, you know, I, I would hope that he takes more of an approach like Brandon Brooks does if the Eagles do decide to hold on to him, which I think they should. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Um, when we get back, uh, I do want to... Uh, Talk about more more Sixer stuff. We'll also get to the Joe Girardi uh, stuff from last week as Dave Dombrowski joined uh, Scott Fransky on Phillies on Deck for his bi-weekly spot, even though he did two weeks in a row here. I don't know how they how they divide that up. I guess it's maybe whoever's on the road with the club at the time. He went, yeah, he wanted to go on this road trip. Okay, because Fold did, did two weeks ago, and Dombrowski's had two weeks in a row here. So, uh, so Yeah, same trip. Yeah, so we'll get to that as well. Uh, Coming up, I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham. On a Wednesday morning, 
Still a lot to get to throughout the rest of the show here. We got to get to uh, this Nick Wright rant um, on uh, Kyrie Irving. He's stomping on Lucky, the Celtics mascot. And this has caused caused a big stir. Um, A lot of former Celtics uh, alumni very upset with Kyrie Irving for what he did. And, man, it's like (laughs) Kyrie Irving is, is... just like such a, a, a like the, the, honestly stomping on the mascot is is stupid thing to get upset about, but it's also not easy to defend Kyrie Irving. Like Kyrie Irving is he is a jerk. Like he is, and he did tear that organization apart and um, really mess their future up. Which honestly, as a Sixers fan, it's not that not that terrible to see the Boston Celtics implode the way they've imploded. Um, but uh, the pretty uh, Nick Wright went off about what Kyrie Irving did and uh, uh, the uh, aftermath. A couple former Celtics very upset um, about the disrespect of Lucky. So we'll get to that Lucky. a little later on. Uh, plenty of other things that we need to get into. But talking about the Sixers, our main topic tonight, um, and the fact that you know yesterday was a tense day as we're waiting around for information on Joel Embiid. And you're waiting around uh, for results of the MRI. Uh, nothing for a lot of the day. And, you know, there hadn't been much to report until later in the day Woj had tweeted out um, Embiid's doubtful for Game 5, and that's pretty much it. Uh, but... Uh, a couple hours later, he joins Kevin Nagandi on SportsCenter and had a more in-depth report on Joel's status. Uh, Kevin, Embiid had an MRI today uh, after the team returned back from Washington. Uh, they're going to examine that right knee more in the next 24 hours or so. Uh, he is going to be listed as doubtful for Game 5, but I'm told largely there's optimism around the knee Uh, that this is not a serious injury. This is not necessarily something that's going to keep him out, but there's more testing uh, that's going to be done. There's certainly uh, want to be sure whenever they're dealing with Joel Embiid and a player certainly of his stature. Uh, But right now, simply, uh, the Sixers are listing him as doubtful for game five against Washington. So, you know, that's where we stand with Joel Embiid. And apparently Scott O'Neill was on with Zach Gelb, CBS Sports Radio, and confirmed pretty much everything in the reporting there that this is not looked at as a long-term thing. That's good news. You know, obviously, Joel Embiid's out for any significant amount of time. This team's done. I mean, they're not going to the finals. They're not winning the championship without Joel Embiid. But tonight's game is very important. Because while you need Joel Embiid, and that's obvious, and you're not going anywhere significant without him, you're also going to need the other guys as well. You're going to need your role players to step up. You're going to need, specifically, Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons to step up and assist Joel Embiid. And for them to be good enough down the line to supplement and surround Joel in a series against Brooklyn or against Milwaukee. They also got to do it sometimes without him. And this is a game where they need to step up and win this game without him because this Washington team stinks. Okay. They are not good. Uh, Russell Westbrook can put up all the numbers in the world. I've watched these four games. He is not a good basketball player at this point. He's just not. I mean, 
you have Bradley Beal on that side, a bunch of nobodies. Even the one guy who can get hot for them, Bertans, is out. Like, this is not a game, Joel Embiid or no Joel Embiid, this is not a game the Sixers should lose, and it's not a game that should be close. And it's going to be very telling to me what the Sixers are going to be long-term as far as the rest of these playoffs. Because if you can't win this game without Joel Embiid, even when you get him back, and the Sixers aren't going to lose a series, they're not. But even when you get Joel Embiid back, they're not going to be good enough. If they're not good enough to win this game tonight, what makes you think they're going to be good enough to step up when it really matters down the road in a big game against Brooklyn or a big game against Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals? And this is a night where Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons need to take it upon themselves to put the team on their shoulders and lead them to victory. And that means Tobias needs to play the way he's played all year, not the way he played the other night when he reverted back to 2020 Tobias Harris. Ben Simmons needs to be aggressive. He needs to go to the basket. He needs to get to the free throw line. He needs to make free throws. And it's a big night for those two guys to prove that they are going to be good enough when it matters uh, with Joel Embiid. And they got to win this one without him. And... It's 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 a game the Sixers shouldn't have problems with because that Washington team, they're they're just they're just not good. Um, and uh, sold out Wells Fargo Center. Shame on the Sixers if they can't close this thing out tonight. So we've been talking about that. Also, to the Phillies as they beat the Reds seventeen to three in Cincy on uh, Tuesday night. Quick turnaround, twelve thirty five first pitch. Later on today, Spencer Howard on the mound should be all right as long as he doesn't run too hard uh, to first base. If he hits a ground ball, I don't know. Maybe he should just walk back to the dugout. I mean, you don't want to run down to first, lose five miles per hour on your five miles per hour on your fastball. Uh, you know that would be concerning. And you know, kind of the same thing happened to Spencer Howard last week, where he didn't have the dip in velocity, but he did kind of fall off. He had a pretty good first four innings, and then the fifth. Everything kind of fell apart, but Phillies get that win. You know, whether you think that's going to mean anything significant long-term, um, I don't. Like, I just I just don't see that kind of a turnaround with this team. Um, but Phils finish off their series with the Reds today. But what I want, did want to address with the Phillies right now is, you know, everything going on with Joe Girardi. And this was something we talked about a lot last week. And... Something that Dave Dombrowski addressed on his pregame interview with Scott Fransky on uh, Tuesday night. And to set the scene, we'll go back to last week. And it all kind of started, what was this, last Sunday? Um, last Monday? I think it was Monday, actually. Um, I'm trying to remember here. So we got a blow Sunday against the Red Sox. Uh, game wasn't really close that, you know, Wheeler and Miller won it. And then Monday, he Monday. got a second straight day off against uh, Rodgers. Right. Yeah, I was working the game that night. That's right. Um, and uh, Bryce is out for two straight days. And obviously, that led to questions about Bryce Harper's health. Um, and here was Joe Girardi uh, that Monday about why Bryce Harper uh, was sitting out for the second straight day. You know, I step on, I just said, I'm going to give him another day. I mean, he's been struggling and um, just thought, you know, I'll give him one more day and, and, and we'll go from there. But, um, you know, I didn't have a preconceived notion um, going into yesterday that I was going to give him two days off in a row. I just kind of slept on it, felt like it was a good thing to do. 
and we'll get him going. Well, there's Girardi saying right there, no health issue with Bryce. And, and it's never, uh, honestly, it's, it's never going to not make me laugh. The, uh, the octave that Joe Girardi's voice hits at the beginning of that clip, like how it, it, and this would be kind of a social media thing. Like, how do you tell me you're lying without telling me you're lying? (laughs) And that, that's what Joe Girardi's voice would have been there. We were on that early. We were right about that. Yeah, you called that out right away. You're like, well, you hear his voice went up like so high. Of course he's lying. Like, it's pretty obvious. Um, but still, Scott had uh, followed up with Joe on this about whether this was uh, ultimately a health issue with Bryce. This game, you know, if you're a little bit out of whack, you know, it becomes extremely difficult. And the pitching that we're facing has been really good. So it's it's a frustrating game because – if you have a good day, you don't get to sit on it very long. You're right back at it the next day. And so I just thought, you know, just give him a chance to reset. But it's not a health issue? No. No. So that's Monday, May 24th, when Girardi answers twice. To Scott Fransky in the uh, interview, Phillies on Deck, says, no health issue with Bryce. He's fine. Just give him another day. Well, the next day, Bryce Harper lands on the injured list. Um, and... Uh, you know, Joe was asked about this during his pregame media availability that day by Zach Ge- or Matt Gelb. Sorry, you just mentioned Zach Gelb a minute ago. Matt Gelb uh, in this instance. And uh, here was their back and forth on why Girardi was not up front about Bryce's injury. Hey, Joe, I'm just wondering, I mean, you were asked directly, you know, numerous times the last few days about whether Bryce was dealing with something medically. I don't think any of us asked whether he was available or not. Tipped your hand. I'm just wondering why there was this whole dance around whether you asked about his shoulder, and I responded uh, about his shoulder. And there's a distinct advantage if if I tell you a guy's wrist is hurt to the other manager. And the idea here is to win games. You know, it's kind of like me telling you who's available in the bullpen and not available. I don't like doing that because I don't want Donnie to know who I might use or not use. And I understand you want to know, you know, but there are distinct advantages that I can give another club if they know everything that's going on over here. So I'm sorry that I had to do that, but we're trying to win games and um, he's just not ready to go. I thought he'd be ready uh, on Monday or Tuesday. He's not. So we decided to IL him. I mean, when doesn't Girardi lie through his teeth? I mean, even when he says there, I'm sorry, like he's obviously not sorry at all. (laughs) And, you know, don't say you're sorry if you're not sorry. He's obviously not sorry. And I somewhat understand from his perspective the competitive advantage thing. But let's face it, you're not fooling anybody. Like nobody was fooled when Bryce Harper was out of the lineup for a second straight day. We all knew he's hurt. He's in the dugout wearing his warm-up outfit he's not even wearing a uniform so Joe can say that was about competitive advantage all he wants and I mean maybe he thought it was but I would just say you're not really fooling anybody when Bryce Harper who is getting paid 330 million dollars is not in the lineup two days in a row I'm sorry <laughs> not sorry Joe uh here's more from Girardi on uh you know needing to do what he did uh, on Sunday I asked if he was medically okay, if there was anything going on with him. I know you, and you did. said no. Okay. I, 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 I just explained why I did it. I'm sorry. You know, I know I, I, I don't want to give the other club a distinct advantage, but there's sometimes I just got to do what I got to do for, for our club. Again, he's absolutely not sorry. 
And, you know, Joe Girardi saying he's doing this for competitive advantage uh, purposes. And uh, obviously, Dave Dombrowski does his weekly spot where Scott Fransky interviews either he or Sam Fold on Phillies on Deck. And um, Dombrowski was, was asked about it. Here's Dave Dombrowski on why Joe Girardi is taking the tact that he is right now uh, with the media. And, and I know when it came out, it probably came out in a more hectic fashion if we were looking from an organizational perspective than, than maybe would have been desired where we could have had a chance to explain a little bit more. But really what it comes down to is that you're in a spot you don't want to give a competitive advantage to the other club any way you possibly can. And so being in a position, you're in a spot where if they know somebody's not available to play, that's a big plus. And when I go around the league and I read all the newspapers other clubs don't do that. I mean, I read their thing. Now, they'll say he left the game such and such reason, but all of a sudden, you don't know if it's day-to-day. I know we were playing Miami. It sounded like it was day-to-day, and then all of a sudden, they put Anderson on the injured list for six weeks. So clubs don't give you that type of information normally. And, and I will say where I've been with other clubs, we hire individuals in our department to read through other clubs' newspapers to find that information out. So... <laughs> Because it it can make a big difference in how you manage a game at a particular time. So really, it's not meant for anything other than that. And then what, unfortunately, what happens is, and it would be the same way, and I, I know it went, was said earlier in the season when Joe said, well, I, I'm not going to tell you who's available as a relief pitcher to pitch a particular day. Well, that, again, tips your hat to the other hand to the other club. And if you ask me, are we going to trade for such and such player? I wouldn't say, oh, yeah, we're going to trade for such and such player. Now, you know, there are a few things there. First off, if you're really, you have people reading through newspapers, uh, it seems like a pretty outdated way to find out injury information, honestly. Um, But, and this is where Dave Dombrowski and Joe Girardi's story falls apart here. And it's where, you know, it's not really about competitive advantage in my mind. It's about not wanting to set a precedent that the media is not going to get the answers that they ultimately want. And because Dombrowski says there, you don't want to know who's available. You don't want the other team to know who's available um, because that's going to impact strategy, impact how the game's managed on both sides. It's going to impact how the opposing team manages against you, and it's going to impact how you manage your team. But this is where it doesn't make sense because he said, yeah, we'll give updates if a guy leaves the game for a specific reason. Okay, well then how do you explain what happened last Thursday? Because last Thursday, there was an instance where it was, I believe, the top of the ninth inning, tie game, runner on second, nobody out. Gene Segura comes in to pinch hit, hits a ground ball to third base, doesn't run particularly hard down the line, thrown out, and then, for some reason, does not remain in the game. Nick Maton comes in to take over uh, defensively. Now, Gene Segura is a better defensive player than Nick Maton. Like, I think we all know that. And from a strategy perspective, you would put uh, Segura in in that spot. And this is where it doesn't make sense because this had nothing to do with availability for that day. The game had ended. Um, The following day, the Phillies were off. This didn't make any sense from my perspective on Girardi, and here was Girardi's answer when he was asked about why Gene Segura came out of the game after pinch hitting. I was just wondering why Gene didn't stay in and play uh, second. Was it just um, to move the pitcher spot, or is he okay? Yeah, 
just just so you guys know, um, we're going to approach this different. I've, I've talked to people in our organization, um, just a manager's decision. And I'm not going to share anything who's available, who's not available, because I think it's somewhat unfair to us. Just like if you you know were to do something, you're not going to necessarily share it with a, a rival reporter. Um, so that's the way we're going to handle just manager's decision. Now, I don't understand that. Like, I don't understand what what does Joe Girardi have to lose there to say why Gene Segura didn't stay in the game? Like, you're not playing the next day. The game's already over. So we're just never going to know if anybody is dealing with anything or anybody's hurt at all. Like, that's a fair, legitimate question. That's a question about why you made a certain decision in that game. And it gives Joe Girardi the out to just hide and not give any answers on anything. Because I don't know if Gene Segura came out due to injury. I don't know if he came out because he's benched. I think he's benched, honestly. He played on Saturday. I think Segura's played every day since then, right, Mike? I believe he has. Um, I'm not 100% sure. but Yeah, he uh, hit a couple base knocks in Tampa, I remember. So this is, And this is the problem that I have, because this is the Phillies taking advantage of this situation, and why I don't think it ultimately is that much about competitive advantage. I think this is more about what we've been talking about. We talked about it with, you know, Al last week in terms of the organizations in this post-COVID world is they want to control the information that is getting out there. And that's what this is really about. And it gives them this opportunity to just hide behind this excuse of competitive advantage when that's not really what it's about. It's really because you just don't want to tell the media anything and you don't want to give answers about your strategy or anything like that and here's more from Dave Dombrowski about Joe Girardi uh being in a tough spot problem that ends up happening is for the manager who's dealing with that topic is if they don't tell you then other people unfortunately accuse you then of lying at that point and so I think nobody Joe's doesn't he's not a liar he's not that type of person I, I don't I'm not that way either so you're better off just not answering it and be in a position where you just kind of keep a neutral setting. And again, it's not based upon guys who are on the injured list right now, which we very openly would discuss, but it really comes down to us that we sense that even a little bit of competitive advantage for another club can hurt us. Now, again, I get it with the Harper thing, but the Segura thing, that had nothing to do with the competitive advantage. The game was over. The game had ended. You have an off day the next day. It just gave him a chance to implement their new policy. Like, I, I think that's all it was. Yeah, but I, I like, that the this is the problem, though. Like, if it was just about injuries and competitive advantage, that would be one thing. But it's just a policy where they don't have to answer any difficult questions ever. That's the way I view it, and I think that's um, wrong. Not necessarily. So, like, what's a diff uh, difficult question? Um, you know, let's say... Zach Eflin is like so bad for two months that they sent him down to AAA, like real beyond bad. Like he's zero and six, and he's just terrible. And then they're like, "Well, why'd you send Zach Eflin down?" And they're like, "Well, that's a tough question." Then they they can answer. Well, I'm talking more like in terms of it, it gives Girardi an out on anything. Like if he goes to a certain guy in the bullpen, say he goes to Jose Alvarado, and people think he should go to Archie Bradley. And you ask, well, why wouldn't you go to Bradley in that spot? Matchups would seem to dictate that's the way you go. He just said, well, I'm not answering that. No, you know, he, it no, gives he an out say, on everything. No, he could tell you after the game, R.G. Bradley was not available. 
because then then it's just understood like this, oh it was just a one day one day off it's not that oh he's unavailable for the rest of the week like it's not like that the Segura thing was after the game like mm-hmm. it, that that's a legit question why did Segura not stay in to play defense it gave him a chance to reveal their new policy that's all that answer was I mean I think it's a ridiculous policy I like, honestly think I think that he wanted to give Segura as much of a day off as possible. Uh, he just needed him to pinch hit because, you know, he just needed a, a but, hitter but, there. So he pinched and he put the Maton in. But why not just say that? Like, what? what who is that? Because it gave him a chance to reveal his new policy. Oh, reveal his new policy. Where else would, like. <laughs> I, I just, like, I, so what? He's just never going to answer any question ever that he doesn't want to answer. Like, no, that, only that is it's... not the point of press conferences. The point no. is you got to answer questions that you might not want to answer all the You're time. You're not listening to them. It's, I am. No, when, like, if there's anything that can deal with a long term availability window of, like, is this guy out for more than, is it just more than a day off? Is it just, the, like, him acting but that was like, obviously what this wasn't about. That, that, was, that wasn't what this was about with Segura, though. He's not hurt. But it, you're gonna make me say it again. Give him a chance to reveal his new policy. I just like the word "reveal" in there, like it's some big reveal <laughs> of their policy that they don't want to talk about media. And I'll say this: I don't know Joe Girardi personally, but for a guy who who Dave Dombrowski says is not a liar, he doesn't seem to have a lot of problem lying. And I got to play this because I heard this. I went back to uh, Joe Girardi's opening press conference, and um, Joe Girardi spoke um, about how much he values the truth and how much he values giving the media straight answers, which, it, listening to this now, it's it's downright hilarious. Here is Joe Girardi um, on the relationship, the honest and open relationship he wants to have with the media back from when he was hired. The first thing that I learned being in, in, in a managerial chair is how competitive your job is, I, I had no idea. And it was something that, as a manager, I was always honest. There were times I couldn't give people in the media everything that they wanted at that time because I didn't have all the information. And I was never one to, and I was always careful with my words because I always wanted the story to be what I was talking about, maybe not someone thinking that I was leading the story a different way. So as, as, as far as, you know, there's, there's a couple ways to, to look at it. You know, a lot of people say that I'm extremely intense. Yeah, that might be right, but I'm focused. I'm focused on, on the job always at hand. I think there's something that you can do when, you, when the media is an outlet, you can send messages to your fans sort of thing that I, I think is important. But as far as handling them, I mean, maybe I didn't always make their life easy because I just didn't throw things out there. But I was extremely honest, and, and that's the way that I will be here. People who do their work and, and are on top of things and ask me questions, I'm going to tell you the story. That's the bottom line. And, and I look forward to working with this market because I, I grew up playing against the Phillies, managing against the Phillies, and I understand how important it is here. And... I'm not just going to give you things off a whim. I'm going to be extremely honest with you, and um, I don't play favorites. And I don't really do always, you know, as much storytelling as some other managers, but I'm going to tell you the truth all the time. 
I mean, how ridiculous does that sound now? Uh, and Mike, I know you're a big Girardi guy now. You got your number 25 uh, Girardi jersey uh, on tonight. Jersey. But yeah, but how ridiculous is does that sound now about Joe Girardi going on for two minutes about how upfront he's going to be and how much he respects the media. And, you know, he might not always give you a ton of, uh, a ton of interesting, but he's going to give you the truth. No, I don't, I don't, to me, it just, it kind of explains all this more. Like it, what does it explain? I don't know. Just it explains it, it that he lied through his no, no, no. teeth. It explains why he's uncomfortable doing it. He doesn't want to make a habit of like lying that like you know Bryce Harper didn't get a day off against uh, against Roger. Day. Gonna he, give him another day. Yeah, right. He <laughs> doesn't want to make a habit of doing that. He clearly was uncomfortable about uh, comfortable about it. It seems like you know just kind of hearing this kind of put together by these two. Maybe when they were in Miami, they had a conversation about it. He said he, he talks to people in the organization. Maybe Dave Dombrowski just happened to say uh, after Monday's game, like, hey, look, they lied about Anderson, and now he's on the DL. And then, like, they just, you know, the, the Segura thing happened and gave him a chance to reveal his new policy. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, whatever. I just, I, I think, I mean, like, Girardi like, is not, I just don't think Girardi is handling this well. And I think he doesn't, he's just saying, like, basically, like, hey, guys, like, I don't care how this looks. Like I, I just that wasn't fun for me. I'm not going to lie to you anymore. Well, so I, you can, yeah. for a guy that is apparently not a liar and a guy that is hyper focused on, I'm going to give it to you straight and I'm going to tell you the truth. He doesn't seem to have much problem lying. Like that's all I'm saying. Uh, it he, happened once. When else? Does, like when else? The, the, did you just hear the last two minute clip we played about how I'm always going to give it to you straight? You're obviously I, I know. not going to. It happened. It. it happened once when he lied about why. Harper didn't play against uh, Perez and Rogers, and then he wouldn't explain why he took Segura out. But that wasn't lying. He just like he wanted just... to reveal the new policy. I know, <laughs> but Big that wasn't. A, but that wasn't a lie. I get. I, I mean, whatever. We can like play where, where, where are the other lying. lies? I mean, he, he lied about Harper, and he and the Segura we, thing. Okay, we we established, we agreed. He lied about the Harper thing. Where right. are the other lies? I, he should have told the reporters. And I know you're going to say about that he wanted to reveal his big but, policy. But that wasn't a lie, Tom. That wasn't a lie. But it was it was not answering a legitimate question. Like, what what are we supposed to ask him about if we can't ask him about his strategy during games? His whole thing is he's uncomfortable lying, so he doesn't want to make a habit of it going forward. But there was so no that's need what... to lie. They're just like, you just say, I wanted to give Segura as much of a day off as I could. Boom. Okay. Answer given. I mean, it's that it's not that hard, right? No, maybe not right. That's the way I view it. I don't know. It, then it gave him a chance to keep Tampa Bay guessing for, I don't know. <laughs> that worked out so well over stupid. the weekend. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't, <laughs> I don't think Tampa Bay is going through Joe Girardi's post-game press conference about, you know, Wallace. Uh, they're going to find out they might, if Segura's yeah. in the lineup on Saturday. I mean, the, the, I don't think the Rays are that concerned with beating with, with the Phillies, first of all. I just think they're, they're concerned with winning baseball games. Yeah, That's and they're going to beat the Phillies regardless of what Girardi says. Nah, the Phillies aren't good. You know, don't think like that. Well, that's the way I do. I feel about it. 215-592-9494. Let's get Bill in the Northeast in here. What's up, Bill? Uh, not too much. I was uh, sitting here listening to your show, and I'd like to discuss uh, Bryce Harper, if I may. Sure. Well, you know, when I, I was watching that game, I guess it was a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> when he when when he got hit in the face with that fastball. Yep. 
And uh, the first thing I thought about was uh, a young, very talented outfielder that played for the Boston Red Sox back in the 60s. His name was Tony Conigliero. Tony C. Uh, he got beamed. And also, he, he was also hit in the face. And ever since then, he came back and he was okay, but he was, you know, but he was never the same player. And uh, not that Harper's injury is, is as serious. I mean, I don't know. They don't seem to be telling us too much about it, but I just hope it doesn't affect him, you know, like down the road mentally or physically. Because that, that's a serious thing. And I think he was back in the lineup, what, the next day? <laughs> uh, it was a couple days later. And, yeah, Bill, I mean – it's something that, that I certainly think could stick with them mentally for a while. I mean, especially against lefties, like standing in there, um, right. you know, after you get hit in the face in that kind of way, yeah, it's, yeah. it's got to, you got to be thinking about it a little bit at all times. And obviously it's so hard at this level to hit that even that little bit of uh, of of concern or hesitation can affect you in a, in a major way. You know, there, there's been numerous players. There was a shortstop named Dickie Thon. In fact, he played for the Phillies at the, the end of his career. He was an up-and-coming star, got hit in the face. He was okay, but just was never the same. So I just hope I'm just, you know, thinking that the worst, but, I, but it just concerns me. That's all. Yeah. No, I hear you, Bill, and I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the okay. call. Take right. it easy. And uh, apparently Bryce was hitting three thirteen after the face thing before he got hurt. Against the Blue Jays, he didn't seem to be hitting great though. Like it wasn't hitting for power, right? Uh, slugging five hundred. He was I mean, scuffling a little bit though. His draw on base four fifty. I don't. I mean, it just seems like just looking at the numbers, it seems like he got he legit get legitimately did get hurt in Dunedin, and was terrible after that. He's he was like I don't know two for twenty five somewhere like something like that. Hmm. Well, I mean, hopefully he comes back strong from this injury, and and you know he's good moving forward because the Phillies are. Obviously going to need him. Not going to score 17 runs every night. And, you know, I mean, and I don't mean to be negative here, but is there any doubt after they put up 17 on Tuesday night that the offense is going to be dead today, right? Like, I mean, it's just the way it works with this team. You know, too, I thought of another reason with the – I agree, yeah. Like, they they will get shut down today by – Who are they facing? Gutierrez. I don't know much about him. Hmm. Um, But think about the Strati thing more now, like, and kind of why – He's taking a bullet here. Like he's ta- he's just it's been a weird season for him managing so many weird things, but I think this also is part of like Dombrowski and Fold like totally botched managing this 40-man roster. They got they no doubt had a bad break with injuries, but like and you know, Kingery and Hazley. Yeah. Yeah. Um but like there's it was still you know, too many pitchers, too top heavy there, not enough like major league depth. For some reason, John Kowski, it took him forever to get here. Two months. Um, you know, Ronald Torres' rehab assignment. Like, there was a period of time where Girardi just didn't have men available, and that's why they had to play this game of, like, pretending Bryce Harper's available as a pinch hitter. Like, well, Yeah, the, but that's it, the thing. Girardi, instead of getting mad at the media, get mad at your front office for not doing their job. But he's not, he's not going to do that in that spot. Uh, well, I mean, I... I I, I just, that's what like there's more to it than I'm like, sticking he, up for the media here, Mike. He's managing uh, more than like than it, it than it seems like. Well, I'm I'm a media guy. You're a Girardi guy. I feel like you've really you're, you're, you're like cheating on Gabe a little bit. You're becoming why? a big Girardi fan here, they, defending Girardi every step of the way as he butchers 
these press conferences and these baseball games. He's had a bad season. How He's, about that? Can yeah, I say that? That's fair. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Uh, when we get back, we'll get to this controversy that is continuing with Kyrie Irving um, hurting Lucky, the Celtic mascot. So we'll get to that coming up next. And uh, the reaction from some former Celtic players who are not happy one bit with Kyrie's nonsense. So we'll get to that coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. In the next segment, we'll recap some of the things we've been discussing throughout the course of the show. We'll uh, also hear a little analysis from Draymond Green, who has been filling in um, on TNT this week, doing a little spot duty. And uh, we'll preview the Brooklyn-Milwaukee series, which we've been talking about a lot. Um, the, the, those teams are on a collision course, and they will... Uh, they will be playing officially as uh, they dispatched uh, the the Nets dispatched of the Celtics on Tuesday night. So we'll hear from from Draymond as well. I, what do you think of Draymond as an analyst, Mike? I think he does a pretty good job. Yeah, I like Draymond. I mean, the basketball IQ is you know. Um, but also, I meant to ask you: Did you hear Charles Barkley reveals new nickname for Anthony Davis? No, what was it? <laughs> Street clothes. Because he's always in street clothes. I mean, he did. He was the Finals MVP last year, which is something Chuck never, never was accomplished. He? Was he? I thought he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah. LeBron James was. won a Finals with was an MVP. That yeah, seems no, impossible. Da- no, Davis was the MVP. Look it up. Look it up. Um, no, he was. Like I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm ninety eight percent sure. Jimmy uh, roasted uh, LeBron. Yeah. No. I mean, AD had a great series last year. I think. You know, for Chuck to say that, a little unaware considering, you know, Chuck's uh, playoff it was history. Le- it was here. LeBron. What are you talking about? And Davis was great last year. In the he, was, he was tremendous, but there's no way we live in a world where LeBron James was going to be the best player on a finals team and not be named MVP. It happened. I mean, so it, I don't know didn't. what to tell you. Yeah, <laughs> so what, what, what are you arguing? I'm confused. I'm arguing that James was MVP. Not I'm not even arguing it. I'm saying that James was MVP, not Davis. Okay. Um, well, the voters would would disagree, but but they didn't. D- Davis won it. No, he didn't. Oh, Jay- Oh, LeBron did win it. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. I, I misunderstood you. Okay, <laughs> that's what I was confused about. All right. Well, I was wrong. Okay. Um, so you you were right. I was wrong. That was, that was what I was confused about. But all right, you proved me wrong there. But we'll look at the Brooklyn Milwaukee series and we'll also analyze the downfall of the two teams that lost to Milwaukee and Brooklyn um, because the Heat and the Celtics, two teams that we don't like in this city, went out in pretty embarrassing fashion. So uh, we'll talk about that in the next segment. But we got to get to uh, this this incident that is really bothering a lot of people um, in the NBA and we talked about the fan stuff and all the fan behavior, which has been absurd. I don't think we had any incidents on Tuesday night, so that's a good sign. But, you know, bottle thrown at Kyrie Irving the other night. Um, and, I mean, I hate to be in a position to defend Kyrie Irving. I mean, Kyrie Irving is, I think, a really selfish player um, who has been a baby for a lot of his career. But 
he does not deserve to have a bottle thrown at him. And that, you know, shouldn't even need to be said. Like, you shouldn't be throwing things at players no matter what it is. And, you know, one of the reasons why some people were actually justifying what happened in Boston was Kyrie and the disrespect that he showed to the Boston Celtics. And um, if you didn't see it, you know, during a timeout, he's going out to midcourt and he stomps on the Celtics logo, Lucky, which, whatever. I mean, he's stomping on a logo. Um, I don't find a ton wrong with it, but it outraged a ton of people. And um, Nick Wright, who's on on Fox, uh, Fox Sports 1, he went off about this. Uh, here was Nick Wright talking about Kyrie Irving and his disrespect of Lucky the mascot in Boston. Well, I'm really talking about this show and our failures. Uh, yesterday, we talked a lot about fans throwing things and bad fan behavior, and we didn't discuss this, this disgusting act of violence from Kyrie Irving towards Lucky. You see that there? Wait for it. That's his bad eye, by the way, that Kyrie stomps on. It's already closed, oh swelled shut. You know who didn't miss it? Glenn Big Baby Davis. Glenn Big Baby Davis, like any good friend, he's been friends with Lucky for the better part of 20 years, told Kyrie, you don't just step on Lucky, you're stepping on all of us, and that could get you hurt in real life. Hurt in real life. Kevin Durant responds laughing and crying emojis. I don't know what's so funny. (laughs) Kevin Garnett jumps in. Kevin Garnett says, hey, folks, uh, are we not going to talk about Kyrie stomping Lucky? We're just going to act like we didn't see it. And so I want to show you guys Lucky before this gruesome act of violence, if you're not familiar with him. And I want to, on behalf of the show, apologize to Lucky and his family that we allowed this gruesome display to go undiscussed yesterday. And hold on. What's that, Keta? Oh, Lucky's a cartoon mascot? not a human being, and everyone's lost their damn minds? Okay, then Kyrie, do your thing. Big baby, shut up. Garnett, you should know better. The hell is going on here? He's a painting. He's not a person. He's a painting. An ugly painting at that. Go to hell, Lucky. How about that? Come after me, big baby. It's ridiculous. I mean, he's right. The outrage over the stomping on Lucky has been absurd. You got former Celtics coming out, like ripping Kyrie for this, and there's plenty to rip Kyrie over. But this is like at the very bottom of the list. Stomping on a logo that players literally run across the logo all game long. I don't know. There's been a couple couple moments throughout the league of like like instigating fans and like it not turning out well. Like here's another, like why, why did he need to instigate I mean, it's, but by the way, it's is he, good like, fun. I don't, I don't I mean, get it. Like, I don't. Why is he? I guess I just don't get it. Like, well, you know, it seems way, like a one-sided beef. It seems like the Celtics were annoyed with him. Not, I don't. I didn't think they wronged him. Well, the way Kyrie's mind works, yeah, you know, fair. I don't know how. I don't even want to get into Kyrie Irving and how he, uh, you know, how his mind works. <laughs> I don't even. I don't know. Okay, so let's but attempt. Kyrie to, probably in no 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 problem, but in Kyrie's mind. He probably has this alternate history of how things went down in Boston where, you know, he did nothing wrong and the organization drove him away. Like, that's probably yeah. the way he views it, even though that is the furthest thing from reality possible. 
But if you're going into that city, already, he expressed concern that they may mistreat him. Yes. If you're concerned, why would you give them a reason and instigate? Like, I just, wh- like, why would he do that? Yeah, no, that, no, I, 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 I get it. I mean, I, I think there are far worse things you could do than stomp on a logo, though. Like, that's my thing. I, I actually, I actually thought it was funny. Like, it's his former team, and I know it's his fault the way things went down there. I didn't think that was, like, the worst thing in the world, that, that he stomped on the Celtic logo. I actually thought it was, was pretty funny. So, um, I, 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 I also think it's funny that all these former Celtics are coming out and getting outraged. I never thought I'd hear Glenn Big Baby Davis's name again. Um, eh, but, uh, he's one of Doc's guys. So so what? I mean, that was 12 years ago, 13 years ago. They're a tight unit. I guess. No, they're not. They hate each other. No, it's only Allen. It's only Allen. It's Ray Allen. D- d- doesn't R- isn't there an issues with Rondo no, and Pierce, those guys Garnett, too? Rondo, Cassell, Doc, Davis. They, so they and they don't like Ray Allen because he defected, right? And when they, they, they just think he's which weird. was objectively a smart move on Ray Allen's part. No, and he was strange. Like he didn't go to like functions and stuff with them. Hmm. Yeah, because Kevin Garnett's a great guy. Uh, his, well, his history. Well, 2018 or 2008 Celtics chemistry talk. There, there, there's some disgusting stories about Kevin Garnett's trash talk on the floor. Uh, and Richard, yeah, Jefferson, I mean, he's yeah. Richard Jefferson had tweeted out. Uh, he said Kevin Garnett has done far more dis- disrespectful things than Kyrie did. Like what Kevin Garnett did to Tim Duncan that one time. You know that story. No. He wishes him a he wished him a happy Mother's Day. Um, one day on on Mother's and, and Day, his when, and his mom had passed away. Like Kevin Garnett is not not somebody I'm. I, I want to get lectured to on. on nah, respect. he's uh, yeah, he was uh, extra as they would say on Twitter, right? There you go. So. Uh, that that's the uh, Kyrie lucky controversy that that people are freaking out about. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, we get back. We'll uh, wrap up the show, talk about some of the things we've been discussing. Also, we'll look at the NBA games tonight. Um, pick the Sixers game tonight, and also um, I want to get to some sound from Draymond Green as he is looking forward to this uh, Brooklyn Milwaukee series. And uh, Draymond made his pick for who will come out of the Eastern Conference. And uh, I think pretty interesting to get the perspective of a current player in the league because he was pretty definitive on he, who he believes is going to ultimately win the East. So we'll get to that coming up. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. As we wrap up the show here, been a fun show tonight, talking about a number of things, um, including the Phillies, as they get a 17-3 win. We will see if they can follow that up today. Uh, First pitch in about seven and a half hours. Spencer Howard uh, on the bump for the Phillies today as they look to take two or three from the Reds, so we've been talking about that. Um... Mike, you have, you never did comment on my shirt choice 
tonight. I am wearing the Clearwater shirt. Yeah, you. Uh, the, I guess the, you rebounded. Yeah, I, I'm wearing the Bryce Harper Clearwater shirt that I ripped uh, last week. So I am a fraud. Uh, so I wanted to get that in there. You thought you were going to call yeah. me out on that. Uh, no, I'm impressed by how quickly you wash your shirts. It was a quick turnaround. I do. I am. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but this is one quirk I have. If I put a shirt on, even if I only have it on for 10, 15 minutes, that's, that's dirty shirt now. I'm not. Re- nah, I, I, I don't re- I, wear. Nah, I, I, I stretch my judgment out to more than 15 minutes. No, I don't. If I put a shirt on, even if I have it on for 15 minutes, that's dirty shirt. It's not going to be reworn. I have enough, I have enough shirts where you, you know you have a lot of t-shirts. So yeah. um, you eat a lot of sandwiches though. So maybe I do. I enjoyed the peanut butter guy. and jelly early on. I could have done it for a snack, but I did that as my snack two weeks ago. So uh, couldn't do it. I did do a childhood though tonight. Well, I saw one of the breaks. You're you're coming back and you're chewing, and I thought. Thought it would be funny if I just out of nowhere broke into the snack of the night. You music. <laughs> yeah, that would okay. be good. I'll do that next time. Yeah, but um. Uh, we we did it back to the childhood earlier on, which had a couple interesting revelations on there. Um, we found out that I may be a closet cowboy fan in disguise because mm-hmm. when I was five years old, uh, according to my trading card for my touch football league, my favorite pro player was Emmett Smith. Uh, so I may be a closet cowboy fan. And we also found out that I was apparently a giant at five years old and I just stopped growing. Because I was a four foot six five year old, apparently. I believe that was a misprint. Yep. Um, because that would mean I've grown one foot in the last twenty nine years. <laughs> from ages five to eighteen. Yeah, from yeah. Yeah, I guess it from eighteen to thirty four you don't really grow, but yeah. yeah. I, I Some, uh, like Paul George and Giannis did, but you know. Many people will not. But yeah, yeah I mean you typically you'd have more growth, but uh yeah, I, I think it three six was what it was supposed to be on the trading card there. Uh, so we did that a little earlier on, and we've been talking about the Sixers. And Joel will be doubtful tonight. We're scouring for information pretty much all day Tuesday. Everybody's trying to find out. There wasn't really anything out there. Woj tweets later in the day. Really nothing more than Joel Embiid's doubtful for Game 5, um, but didn't really speak to the MRI results or the team's feeling on him moving forward. He did, though, join Center a little later on, gave an update on Joel's status. Uh, Kevin, Embiid had an MRI today uh, after the team returned back from Washington. Uh, They're going to examine that right knee more in the next 24 hours or so. Uh, He is going to be listed as doubtful for Game 5. But I'm told largely there's optimism around the knee, uh, that this is not a serious injury. This is not necessarily something that's going to keep him out. But there's more testing uh, that's going to be done. There's certainly uh, want to be sure whenever they're dealing with Joel Embiid and a player certainly of his stature. Uh, but right now, simply, uh, the Sixers are listing him as doubtful for game five against Washington. Okay. So Joel Embiid doubtful. He's not going to play and he shouldn't play because the Sixers shouldn't need him. And, you know, when you look ahead here, they're going to need other guys to step up. And it can't just be old Joel all the time. And when you get to Brooklyn, you get to Milwaukee, you're going to need Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. And tonight's game, I think, is going to be a real indicator in terms of what this team can truly accomplish. Because if they're going to be good enough to win a title, to win the East, in series that matter against really good teams, they're going to need those other guys when Joel's on the floor. 
And tonight, they need Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons to go out there and beat a bad team in Game 5. The Sixers should win this game tonight. The Sixers need to win this game tonight. And if they if they can't, it will indicate to me that they will not be good enough, regardless, even when Embiid's back. Because if Harris and Simmons can't raise their game against the Wizards, they're not going to be able to raise their game against Brooklyn or Milwaukee or maybe even Atlanta. And um, that Washington team stinks. Brad, Brad, Brad Beal is the only player they have. Even their, I would say, second best scorer, second, you know, most volatile scorer in Bertans, who if he gets hot, he can hit five or six threes, he's out. So this is a game the Sixers should win, and they should win easily. You look at the line here, the Sixers are minus six tonight. What do you think, Mike? Like, I think the Sixers win. I think they cover. I think they win this game comfortably. And they better, because if they don't, I'm going to be pretty disappointed. So I don't think Embiid's playing, but the line seems to think that he's playing. No, I I told, I, I when, when Al and I were talking about this during the overlap yesterday, this was what I thought the line was going to be. I thought it was going to be like five and a half to six and a half. But it hasn't moved. Right. It, it, I, it went from like seven to six and a half. The Wizards stink. Like, like that's what it but, is. But it, it, Embiid being ruled doubtful meant nothing. It barely moved. Well, I think everybody just knew Embiid wasn't going to play. Like, I, I would have been pretty surprised if Embiid played in this game. You just, you shouldn't need him. Like, and I think that's the way the Sixers view it. I think they look at it as, I agree. we do not need Joel Embiid. We shouldn't need Joel Embiid. Um, and I think they cover the six. The other games tonight... You got the Knicks one and a half point favorites. I guess that's just an MSG line. I think the there's a chance the Hawks just roll tonight. Like I think the Knicks stink. Uh, what do you think about that one, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I think the Hawks have just figured out that they're better. Um, I think the Knicks fight, but the Hawks ultimately pull away. Yeah, I would kind of agree with that. Utah takes on the Grizzlies. That's a nine and a half point line. I don't know. I don't see that Grizzly team just quitting. I think there's a chance they cover that. Yeah, I think they cover. Jazz move on, but uh, I'll give the Grizzlies a cover. And then uh, your Clippers, six and a half point My favorites. C's. Yeah, six and a half point favorites tonight against Dallas. I I don't know. That series has been so unpredictable. I. I I think the Clippers win, but I have no clue if it's going to be a cover. It's all dependent on whether Luka is healthier than he was in Game 4. If, mm-hmm. if Luka is health-wise the same he was in Game 4, Dallas doesn't stand a chance. Yeah, I mean, they uh, Ty Lue made good adjustments. They get, they're getting good stuff out of Nick Batum, who I thought was kind of cooked. Cooked. The yeah. Clippers has such a weird team of just like these weird veterans. Batum, Reggie Jackson. Rondo and Jackson and Marcus Morris just... I don't know. There's something about that team I still don't trust, but uh, we'll see how that goes tonight. And um, the series that starts on Saturday, and we were trying to figure out earlier when these games would be on Saturday, and this is uh, weird, Mike. I was just looking during the break here. The games are set. Bucks and Nets, that's 730 Saturday night. They would have a Lakers-Suns, if that series goes 7, they're going to have that at 10 p.m. on Saturday night. I don't mind it. As a late night guy, but I'm sure that's going to be a, a, a <laughs> complainer's heaven for the the early risers. If nah, uh, the LeBron stands will be up, yeah, but you know a lot of people cry about Game Seven being at ten o'clock. I love it personally. I, uh, that's a nice doubleheader Saturday night. That is. Um, oh, Phillies play at four too, so that's a good time. Good good setup. There you go. So um, 
Yes, yeah, so that that that's the schedule for Saturday. But that Bucks Net series is going to be really interesting, and I, I will stick with my pick. Previous to the playoffs, is I like the Nets in this series in seven. You know, I think they got a lot. I think it's going to be a real battle. Um, but I'll take I'll take the Nets in seven. I, I think I, I love the two teams that they've eliminated here. How the Nets eliminate the Celtics, the Bucks eliminate sweep out the Heat, and it's so embarrassing for both those teams that were in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. You got that clown Udonis Haslam throwing chairs during a timeout in Game Four. Like, are they really going to come back and waste the roster spot on that guy again next year? I mean, that that culture stuff doesn't seem to be working out too well for them. (laughs) You know, talent beats culture, I think is pretty clear at this point. Culture beats scheme. Is that That's what Chip said, right? Isn't it? Yeah, something like that. Um, But Draymond Green has been uh, doing games on TNT this week. He filled in for Shaq the other night, filled in for Kenny on Tuesday night, and I love listening to Draymond Green talk basketball because he's he's just like he's one of the smartest players in the history of the game. Like I love watching him play because it he's not honestly very talented. Um but the well I'm just saying you made a face, Mike. I mean he's not for the guys in the NBA. He's not like the most talented guy, but he makes up for his lack of talent because he always knows where to be. Like, he's one of the smartest players you'll see. I think there's more quickness to his game than you're alluding to. Okay. Maybe I'm selling him a little short. But um, I thought it was interesting because Draymond was asked about the Eastern Conference and who's going to win the East. And he was pretty matter-of-fact uh, about who he sees coming out of the Eastern Conference. Who's winning the East? I don't, I don't know if you're getting anything bold out of me here. Who's winning the East? Who's going to win the East? Brooklyn. Winning the East. I don't, I don't really think that's that bold, though, but who's beating them? Milwaukee Bucks. Good luck, Chuck. Good luck, Chuck. <laughs> good luck, Chuck. I mean, oh, this they is, enjoyed that. Good luck, Chuck. Yeah, it really wasn't that creative, but I mean, this is a current player in the league. I, th- I thought that was pretty interesting for a current player in the NBA to be so matter of fact of like yeah i mean it's well, one of his rough. friends is on the team well i mean they, they didn't get along great in golden state though he and kd they had a, they had a bad moment i thought part of the reason kd left was because he couldn't play with he couldn't stand draymond no nah, he i mean I, he just needed to get away from like that curry thompson draymond thing he wanted his own uh just, i don't know i just want yeah. he just wanted something different yeah and you know here was more from draymond just talking about you know how dynamic that nets offense is it's, it's the ble- best display offense we'll probably ever see in this league. You know, we're, we're talking about those three guys. But Joe Harris, who leads the league in three-point percentage, um, I think for the past couple years or right Two up. Two out of the last three. That, like, then you, you, know, you rotate and you're swinging it to Joe. So that's who you're rotating off of to Kevin, Kyrie, or, or James. You got Bruce, Bruce Brown, who makes a world of a difference for this team, doing all the dirty work. You know, he plays the dunker as if he's a five-man. You got Blake, who's had this resurgence, who's dunking the ball, who's all over the court playing the five for them. I think, you know, when you look at this team offensively, you're not going to stop them. You stop one guy, you get the other two going off. And so, and, and I think their defense will be good enough because the reality is those other teams have to score as well. And that's not so easy to do. So when you're trying to outscore these guys and which teams are going to have to do, I can't see it happening. And, you know, that's the scary thing about the Brooklyn Nets is if they could put it together, 
How are you going to stop those guys? And I think this series with Milwaukee is going to be a real test. The Celtics obviously were not, uh, you know, anything difficult for them to get past. But I'm excited for this series, and we'll see. Because um, if that Brooklyn train gets rolling, they're going to be really tough to stop with those three guys offensively. So that series get underway Saturday. What's your pick? I, I, I already said it. I'm sticking Nets in seven. Oh, that was the one yeah, I, right, I, I picked before. What is your pick? Are you sticking? You had Bucks in seven, correct? Yes. That you're staying with that pick. Yes. All right. Well, like what the Bucks are doing. We'll see. Game one, uh, Saturday night. So we will talk about it then. I'll be back on Thursday night from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. So I'll talk to you then. Next up, we'll talk to Al for the overlap show. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.